want to welcome you to our Bible and current events study for May 13th, 2007. And today, again, we're going to be just kind of looking at current events from a biblical end time standpoint. That's pretty much what we do every week here. If you need to correspond with me in regard to anything that we really bring up on any particular sermon, just go ahead and email me. My, my email address is on the website. Uh, it's also, I'll just give it to you here, D-R-J-O-H-N-S-O-N at the letter I, the letter X, dot netcom, N-E-T-C-O-M, dot com. And uh, we'll, I'll do my best to try to answer your questions. We've, we've had so many people emailing, and I just want to really thank all of them for all the, the kind comments that we've received, and uh, it's been a blessing. First thing we're going to touch on today is the uh, Last Trumpet newsletter from Last Trumpet Ministries, April 2007 edition. And uh, the preacher always starts out here with a couple different Bible verses. And I thought this particular starting verse was appropriate to America's future, contrary to what the prosperity preachers would have us believe. Uh, this is really hit home when I when I read this, and it's Isaiah one four through seven and verse nine. Isaiah one four through seven verse nine and verse nine, and it says, and this this uh, newsletter is entitled "America: A Nation Systemically Infected." This verse starts out, "Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, <clears throat> a seed of evil doers." Children that are corruptors, they have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. Now, as I'm reading this, I'm not meaning to bring an indictment against every person listening to this, this audio recording. Don't get me wrong. I'm saying, for the most part, this is what's going on in America. With the apostate churches, with, with the corrupt, unsaved, secular crowd. Uh, but I believe the biggest abomination that's going on in this country is going on in the churches. Because they're not preaching the truth. They're preaching half-truths. They're compromising. These types of things. So let me just start over. It says, Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evil doers, children that are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. They are gone away backward. <clears throat> this is called backsliding. Okay? But these are people that backslide and don't ever return. I mean, it's one thing to backslide and get right with the Lord, but it's another thing to backslide and keep backsliding and keep backsliding. Then it goes on to say, why, why should you be stricken anymore? You revolt more and more. The whole head is sick. The whole heart faint. And the Bible talks about if the head is sick, the body will be sick. So see, that's why Christ is the head of the church, the true church. Okay, the body of Christ. He's the head. And Therefore, we know because the head is not sick, because it's because it's Jesus Christ is the head, then the body is not sick. Okay, but then when you have false religion or whatever else as the head, then the whole body will be sick and it will be affected. This is why it's so important to be careful who you yoke up with in ministry to. Okay, I mean whether you're going there to sit in their pews. Whether you're listening to them on the radio, whether you're watching, whether you're watching the televangelists on TV, whether if that's where you're putting your money, all of this will affect you, guaranteed. If you're just doing one of those that I just mentioned, it still will affect you. Now, it's one thing 
to not be ignorant of Satan's devices lest he get an advantage of us. Okay, 2 Corinthians 2.11. That's one thing. Okay, to kind of see what is going on in apostate Christianity. To mark them which cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ but their own belly. And by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. It's one thing to do that. Okay? But it's another thing to be part of it. And we're going to talk about this more today in regard to... Um, in regard to that subject, we're going, to, we're going to go into that a lot further. If we have time, I hope we do. <clears throat> so, this verse goes on to say, From the sole of the foot, even under the head, there is no soundness, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. Well, this doesn't sound like all that, that feel-good gospel you can get at, at your standard church, your brokering religion, a little dabble, do you? That's not, that's not what's being, this is not what's being preached in churches around this country today, guaranteed. For the most part. 99.9 probably, I would have to say. <clears throat> and then it talks about in the putrefying sores, and they have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. I mean, this is a pretty pretty disgusting picture of the Lord's painting here of uh, of this people laden with iniquity a sinful nation it says that's the, that's the start of this verse a sinful nation your country is desolate your cities are burned with fire your land strangers devour in your presence now this is coming this is coming because this was a verse written after it had already happened but see what, what led up to your country is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Your land, strangers devour it in your presence. And it is desolate, as overthrown by strangers. Except the Lord of hosts had left us a very small remnant, which God always will preserve. Except He led the small remnant. We should have been a Sodom, and we should have been like under Gomorrah. Now, if we had been like them, everybody would have been destroyed. But even in Sodom and Gomorrah, He removed Lot, some of His family. Okay, so he'll, he always will preserve that remnant. And Now that doesn't mean the remnant might not have to go through a whole lot. Okay, or some be martyred in these types of things. I'm not saying that that, that, that wouldn't be the case. But always he preserves a remnant in some way, shape, or form. But see, the first part of this verse is talking about a country, a nation, and it's a description. Well, I would say that description meets fits America to the T. Now, what is the result of all this? Well, that's the second part of this, where, where it talks about the country being desolate, the cities being burned or fire, strangers devoured in your presence. Well, could that be the illegal aliens and all the, all the foreign investment companies that have come in here and bought up everything, like China and them? They're just waiting for the fall. They're waiting for that dollar to finally collapse. The illegal aliens are already here, and when the North American Union comes and they erase the borders, they're going to be legal. They're not, we're not going to be able to call them illegal anymore. Okay? I had a man email me the other day about this subject, and, he, and I, I couldn't believe it, what he was saying, because he basically asked me to have empathy for the illegal aliens. Empathy. And, and understanding their plight. Here's, my empathy, here's where my empathy ends. The fact that they're here illegally, and they should have never been here, and they've been, and it's all by design to implement this North American Union... At least leading up to implementation of the North American Union. It's all by design. To destroy the middle class of America. To dilute 
and I hate to say it, dumbed down this nation because it's a proven fact they are these are not educated people that are coming in. Does that mean I hate them and I don't want them? No, it doesn't mean that. I want them to go to heaven as much as I want anyone else to go to heaven. But them coming here illegally in an illegal premise doesn't do God any favors. It doesn't do Christianity any favors. It's illegal. That's my premise. That's what I always go back to in regard to that issue. That's the override. The Bible says if the foundation be destroyed, what can the righteous do? I don't care what argument you put in front of me about the illegal aliens. They're illegal. That's the foundational issue that we have to look at. And then you look at the bigger picture and you realize why this is happening. And they're bringing in more false religion because the absolute total majority of them are, are, are Catholics or in some, involved in some form of paganism and that's all Catholicism is is, is, um, is paganism repackaged with a Christian veneer that's all it is so, you know the Bible says a little leaven leaveneth a whole lump well this whole country has been leavened and the, and the end of this because God is the same today yesterday and forever the end of this will be the same as in Isaiah this verse we just read Cities burn with fire, strangers devouring your land and your presence, being desolate, overthrown by strangers. Keep saying overthrown by strangers. Well, they're here. And these strangers don't like us. They don't like Americans. Okay? The Mexicans think that they have a right to this land anyway. They, they view us as usurpers. We came here and established this land, kicked them out. They have every right to, they have more right to be here now. They're just claiming what was theirs. See, this is the big cry going up about the Mexicans right now. And I'm not just saying just Mexicans, I mean all of the, the people coming from Central America and these types of places as well. So, I just thought that this was very appropriate in regard to the day and time that we're living in. This next verse is Jeremiah 5, 23 through 26. <coughs> Jeremiah 5, 23 through 26 and verse 29. Quoting, it says, But this people hath a revolting and a rebellious heart. Now remember, the Bible says, For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Rebellion is the sin of witchcraft. And that's all I see in this country. Rebellion. 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 This people have a revolting and rebellious heart. Well, I would have to say that pretty much describes America. They are revolted and gone. Neither say they in their heart, now let us fear the Lord our God. Notice that's the first thing God always brings up many times. Particularly in the, in the uh, Old Testament, even a lot in the New. See, the problem is when you stop fearing God. That's when it begins. Because, see, fear of God will keep you out of so much trouble. Fear of God takes care of so many other things that a Christian would need. Fear of God appropriates blessings from the Lord like no other thing. These prosperity preachers can go on all the day long about, you know, send your whatever in and we'll, we'll send you a magic handkerchief that's been prayed over by Benny Hinn and, 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 and you can go and heal everyone. Whatever. That's all a lie from the pit of hell. Okay? They can tell you all day long. It just purely revolves around money. You said, And I'm not saying... it's it's. I think it is very important where, where, where you're putting where you're putting donations and things of this nature. I think it is very important because of what I mentioned earlier. But I believe the overriding factor is the fear of the Lord because if you if you a Christian operates with fear of the Lord on their life properly, it will take care of so many things. So many things that you might have a problem with right now. You won't have anymore. 
So God says, let us now fear the Lord our God. But they didn't say that. They said, neither say they in their heart. Let us now fear the Lord our God. There's no fear in this country of God at all. There will be. Oh, there will be. As soon as they plunge into hell. But it's going to be too late. Does that mean I want them to plunge? No, I'm not saying. I pray to God they all be saved. God, The Bible says God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He said it's His will that not one would perish, but that all would come to repentance. And that's my, my, my will. But I understand that there's a very low to no likelihood of that person getting saved unless they're taken to the woodshed, so to speak. People don't normally just wake up living like the devil and say, Wow, I want to get saved. I'm living like the devil. No, but if they get real miserable and they get taken to the hog pen like the prodigal son and they get a spanking, a lot of times that will get them to wake up and they will come to their senses. The Bible says godly sorrow leadeth thee to repentance. It also says the goodness of the Lord leadeth thee to repentance. Okay, but see, the thing is, is if God sends godly sorrow, that is His goodness. Because what's better... I mean, let's let's lay out the scenario. What would be better? You living a life of misery and finally, I mean, and, and God ordained it that way, and you finally got saved and got right, and you went to heaven, or you living a life of pleasure, wantonness, doing whatever you please, acting and living like the devil, yet calling yourself a Christian, which is what most people that are Christians do. You live that type of life. You're not chastened of God. And you die and plunge into hell for eternity and burn in the lake of fire. What's more merciful? Would it be more merciful to God for God to bring judgment now, in this time, in this short life that's but a vapor? Or would it be better for God to let it go to the end and just let the wicked drop off into hell? That's why I pray for judgment. The Bible says in Hosea 2, he said this to... um, wayward Israel Hosea 2 it says I will give thee the valley of Achor for a door of hope what happened in the valley of Achor was judgment on a particular family Achan and his family through that judgment it gave all of Israel a door of hope and great fear fell on Israel when they saw him judge Achan we don't have that in the church it's not like when Ananias and Sapphira dropped dead because they lied to the Holy Spirit in Acts but see, that's the, way it, that's the way the church started out. They dropped dead. What happened? It said great fear fell upon those and many were saved and many were converted. Well, that sounds like a really good thing to me, but it's not preached anymore. Why isn't 1 Corinthians chapter 5 preached in the churches where it says, Turn such an one over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the soul may be saved in the day of the Lord. Why isn't that preached? Never, ever, ever, ever even heard a sermon on that one. But it's in the Bible. It's a biblical mandate. I'm not saying it's like a Ten Commandment, but it is a biblical mandate. What was that in reference to? A person that had taken his father's wife, probably his stepmom, as his wife. And it was going on in the church, in the Bible. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 5, please. And it said, why haven't you judged this matter? I have already judged it. Oh, we can't judge. Oh, it says many, many times in the New Testament, He who is spiritual judgeth all things. Jesus Christ said, Judge righteous judgment. But see, because this judgment's not going on in the church, and the Bible says judgment must begin at the house of the Lord, because it's not going on, the church is in the shape that it's in. Because there's no fear of God. Because there's no judgment in the church. And I don't mean hypocritical judgment. I don't mean 
looking at the speck in your brother's eye when there's a beam in your own, which is what that verse was in reference to. You bring this up to anybody, you start quoting scripture to people that are pseudo-Christians, immediately they always fall back on, oh, you're judging me, you got no right to judge. Yes, i got every right in the world to judge you. Every right in the world to judge you. He who is spiritual judgeth all things. Now, if I was a hypocrite, and I was living like the devil, no, I wouldn't. You're right. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 even says, let me just read that, just, just the end of it. I, I don't want to get too far off on a tangent here, but um, I, I'm, just, I'm, I'm, I'm just sick of what I see in, in pseudo-Christianity. These people that, that, that you know call themselves Christians and live like the devil. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And this is where it talks about well, I'll just read this part. It is, it is commonly, it is reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and such fornication as not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. Okay, that's the context of this. And you are puffed up, and you and you have, you have not rather mourned. See, they should have been mourning. No, they were puffed up. They were proud of this. That ye have done this deed, that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. See, that you need to get rid of that person. If they will not repent, they need to be cast out of the church. How much is that happening in today's ever? Oh no, that might affect the offering. Oh, have, oh, it might affect my reputation. How can I keep up with the, the, the Pastor Joneses? You know? That might make me unpopular. Who knows, I might even get sued for a hate crime. <laughs> Whatever. Verse 3, For verily, as absent in the body, but present in the Spirit, have judged already, as though I were present, concerning him that hath done this deed. Now this is Paul talking. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together in my, in my Spirit, with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, this sounds pretty serious to me, to deliver such an one unto Satan, for the destruction of the flesh, that the Spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, that doesn't sound real nice. Why? That's the most merciful thing they could possibly do. And aren't we supposed to be merciful? When you pray for, for judgment to come upon a wicked person in this life, that they would get saved, because that's the only way they're going to have a chance of getting saved, they're not going to get saved, they just keep living more and more like the devil. Guaranteed. But see, this, does, this isn't preached in the churches at all, that I know of. It says, to deliver one, it says, when you're gathered together, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such an one unto Satan. This sounds like something that should be going on in the churches, when it's appropriate. Not hypocritically, obviously, but how can you even do this in a church now that's been so leavened, that's reading the wrong Bible, that, 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 it, that is, is the epitome of hypocrisy? How can you even do that in a church anymore? I mean, you have to cast the whole church out just about. That's why it says a little leaven leaveneth the whole lot. See, the church has been leavened. When we started this a long time ago, let's go back a hundred years, and the church wasn't all leavened like it is now, before these false Bible versions came out in 1881, which is what I believe was, was kind of the start of, the, of this, this uh, end time slide into the Laodicean church era, that's lukewarm. It's when a lot of cults came into being, a lot of false Christian doctrine hit the, hit the scene. It's not being done anymore. They'd have to cast themselves out. Your glorying is not good. See, they were glorying in the sin. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Leaven is always a type of sin. Purge out therefore the old leaven, that 
that ye may be made a new lump as ye are unleavened. Now understand this, this is affecting the whole church. See, he's saying a little leaven, this person that's doing this is going to affect your whole church. This is why I'm very, very selective who I fellowship with. And not because I think I'm better. Please. But it's biblical. Come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and then I will receive you and be a father unto you, and you will be my children. Okay, that's, you know, it's clearly laid out in the Bible. So if we go for a little bit further, and then and then this also gets into judging those in the church. Okay. Now, Paul said Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. That sounds like judging to me. I already said the verse: Mark them which cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. Romans 16, verse 17 and 18 is what I just quoted. Well, that sounds like judging. Huh. Paul also said, Demas and Hymaeus have forsaken me for this present world. Well, that sounds like judging. Yeah, it does. The Bible, always, the Bible also says that the Cretans are always, slow, are always liars, slow bellies. Rebuke them sharply that they may be, sound found in the, that they may be found sound in the faith. Well, that, he was judging a whole a race there. Judging, judging, judging. He who is spiritual judgeth all things. Judge righteous judgment. Where do we get this? There's one verse, the one parable is where we get it from. Judge not lest ye be judged. If you have a beam in your own eye and there's a speck in your brother and you're trying, that's when you don't judge. Because you have no right. And, and let's confirm this with one other one. Verse 9, I wrote unto you in an epistle not the company with fornicators, yet not altogether with fornicators of this world, or with covetous, or extortioners, or idolaters, for, for then you must needs be go out of the world. So you can't live your life and not deal with unsaved people. You can't. It's impossible. Now you don't want to get, you know, like yoked up, you know, but you would have to go out of the world to not deal and, and if you were out of the world how would they how would what what mechanism would the Lord use to bring them to salvation or have them to have that opportunity. Okay? So it wants to this we're coming, we're reasoning together here. Verse eleven. But now I've written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother that's the context. Any man that is called a brother like this person that had just done this be a fornicator covetous, or, idol or an idolater, or a railer, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, with such and one know not to eat. How often is this getting done in the churches? No, we'll, we'll let anything go. Well, the, the head's sick. Pastors are, are, are guilty of this. The associate pastors, most of, the, most of them, they are. They're guilty of all this. They're compromisers. They're hirelings. They have no true love for the flock. They're in it for the money. Whether they want to admit it or not. Most of them. I'm not saying all. I'm saying most. Verse 12. For what have I to do... For what have I to do to judge them that also that are without? Do ye judge... Do not ye judge them that are within? Yes, we do. See, that's why it said it that way. We are supposed to judge those things going on within... The church, or the, or the circle of Christians that we are that we are around, we're supposed to in any kind of church setting. 
Why? Because if that person brings in all kind of gross sin, it will affect whatever you're doing. Whether it's a Bible study, whether it's in a church, whether it's a home church, it doesn't matter. It will affect that in a very negative way. That's what this whole chapter was about. That's why we judge them that are within. That's what we should be doing. But, oh no, judge not, let's be judged. That way I can live like the devil and you can't judge me. You can't judge me because I'm, I can do whatever I want. Judge not, lest you be judged. Oh, isn't that convenient? You know? Do we sin that grace may abound? The Bible says, God forbid. Then verse 13, But them that are without, God judges. In other words, those people that are unsaved, those are the ones God judges. Okay? Therefore, put away from among yourselves that wicked person. How could you not put away that wicked person unless you had judged the matter to do it? Oh, that's really judging. Turning someone over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Hey, I don't exactly know exactly how what happens on a spiritual realm. I mean, I think I got a pretty good idea. But what's the motivation? What's, what's, is it because you want revenge? No. If, if that's your motivation, then you need to get right with God. Because if your motivation is, yeah, I'm going to turn him over to Satan so we can get revenge. No. God's not going to honor any of that. You do it for the, for the sake of, of adhering to a biblical mandate and doing it because the Word of God says to do it. Hopefully that that person would get saved, and another byproduct would be great fear would fall upon those that would see this judgment, if he doesn't. And many might get saved. Sounds like a good deal to me. That's why I pray Psalm 64 all the time. Psalm 64. Because that is the exact motivation of Psalm 64. And it's not because you just want God to take away all your enemies so you'll live a life of ease and everything will be great. It's not like that. Okay? You see, the thing is, is the Bible says all the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord weigheth the spirits. So see, God knows why you're praying something. If you're praying an imprecatory prayer because you want revenge, <laughs> the Bible says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Psalm 66 verse 18. Well, how, how is He going to hear you if you're praying for the wrong reason? Or if you're praying to consume it upon your own lust? These types of things. So anyway, I really got off on a tangent there, and I'm, I apologize, but I just felt as though I needed to say that. Because I'm so sick of what's going on in the churches, and what comes off as the veneer of Christianity. Um, going back to this verse in Jeremiah, it says, Now let us fear the Lord our God, that giveth rain, both the former and the latter. In, this, in His season, He reserveth unto us the appointed weeks of harvest. Your iniquities have turned away these things. And your sins have withholding good things from you. See, that's what happens. Right there. There's the confirmation. See, iniquities turn away these things. And your sins have withholding good things from you. Well, then how do you explain how the prosperity preachers get, get rich? Because the Bible clearly says that even though there's wicked, and, and it even talks, in fact, I've, I've quoted the verse before, these people prosper. These people can prosper in their wickedness. Um, and, and the Bible is very, very, very clear on that. Here it is. Jeremiah 5, 26-31. Actually, I think that's the same one we're reading. It's just, they just left part of that out. I'm going to read you just the missing parts there. And this is, uh, this is uh, Jeremiah 5, 26-31. If you read that whole thing, it says... Among my people are found wicked men, they lay in wait as they set as snares. Among my people, it says. 
man, I've got this at a really small font. I can. And then it says, um, he he did set. Oh, no, I'm I'm okay. Thank you. Uh, they lay in wait. They set a snares. They set a trap. They catch men. This is what these these prosperity preachers do. They catch men. As the cage is full of birds, so are their houses full of deceit. Therefore, they are become great and wax and rich. It says that. Even though, they, even though they've done this through deceit, they've become great and wax and rich. They're waxing fat. Yay, shine. Oh, you just, just look at Benny Hinn. He shines up there. With his, with his, uh, he looks like a, I don't know, some kind of war priest or something anymore with that getup he wears and all those insignias he's got all over him. All he needs now is a cape and a top hat and a cane. You know? What, what's next? A, a, a scepter and an orb and a throne? You know, come on, round it out. Round it out, Benny. Come on. I mean, people worship this man. And he's a, st- he's a devil from the pit of hell. That's what's operating through him. The Bible says, by their fruits you shall know them. Have any question on that, just please email me and I'll, I'll load your boat with Benny Hinn documentation. Not my opinion, but documentation. Or really on any of the prosperity preachers. They're waxing fat, yea, they shine, yea, they overpass the deeds of the wicked. They judge not the cause, the cause of the fatherless. They don't judge the cause of the fatherless. The Bible says true religion is this, that you would visit the widows and their affliction and, 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 the, and the orphans and these types of things. You would take care of them. That says true religion. But see, they judge not the cause of the fatherless. Yet they prosper. The right of the needy do they not judge. Shall I not visit for these things, saith the Lord? Shall not my soul be avenged on such a nation as this? A wonderful and horrible thing is committed in the land. The prophets, the prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests bear rule by their means. See, it's by man's means. The prophets, oh, just go to a Pentecostal church. You want to hear some false prophecies? Go into a Pentecostal church. Well, I'm a prophet. Uh, or these guys walk around and say, well, I'm an apostle. Oh, really? So you're going around drinking poison and not dying? You're laying hands on the sick and healing them every single time? It's not like 50% of the time, it's 100% because that's what the apostles did. You're taking up serpents and not getting bitten? Oh, isn't that amazing? Hmm. Because, you know, let's face it. That was the, the commission, and those were the people listening to that commission. Now, I'm not saying we're not supposed to go into, the, into all the earth and preach the gospel. Okay, I'm not saying that that's not the case. But, hey, if, if you're going to go by that verse, you need to go by the whole verse, not just part of it. But it says, yet they prosper, the right of the needy, do they not judge? Shall I not visit for these things, saith the Lord? Shall not my soul be avenged on such a nation as this? A wonderful and horrible thing is committed in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests bear rule by their means. And my people love to have it so. They love it. And what will ye do in the end thereof? See, if, if you wait, if you wait on this, there's not going to be any trouble. You're not going to, you don't just get saved when God, when you want to get saved. You get saved as the Holy Spirit woos you. Only the Holy Spirit can leadeth one to salvation. If the Holy Spirit's not there, and you're trying to get, you won't get saved. There's been many a deathbed confession, especially in the old times before they had all the drugs to drug people up, where a, uh, pastor was trying to lead somebody to the Lord on their deathbed and they, they're like, it was almost like I want to get saved but I can't, I can't do it there's something, because see the Holy Spirit wasn't part of it anymore 
They've been given over. They, they had had their chance. The Holy Spirit, the Bible says that the Spirit of God will not always strive with man forever. He just doesn't give you infinite chances to get saved. He doesn't just give you infinite chances to, to, to reject the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that paid the sin debt of all mankind, that shed His blood on the cross through His death, burial, and resurrection, offered us the free gift of salvation. He just doesn't give you the option of rejecting that free, perfect, wonderful, best gift you could ever imagine over and over and over again, and at your whim getting saved on your deathbed. It doesn't work that way. Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Galatians 4.16 would it be better for me to, not, to withhold these things from you and for you to plunge into hell? What's more merciful? Ask yourself that question. What's more merciful? The lake of fire? Or me rubbing somebody's... Or the Holy Spirit, should I say, hopefully working through me and whoever would put forth the Word of God. Whoever would, would bring forth truth. Not just me. Whoever. However God would... Choose. What's more merciful? For, for, for the Holy Spirit through a given individual or through a given whatever writing or reading or, or audio recording, to chap your hide the wrong way and for you to get right? What's better? What's more merciful? But see, I, I, the time's coming when somebody like me, you know, I'm going to be Mr. labeled as Mr. Hate Crime. Whatever. Whatever. Going on with this, with this uh, last trumpet... The scriptures above, particularly the first portion, reveal Almighty God's description of a people He had chosen and what had become of them. He describes it as a sick nation, with no soundness in it. The whole head is sick, the entire body is covered with untreated, putrefying sores and bruises. Yet in all of its pain, it still rejects the only one who can help it. I hadn't thought about that, it's a good point. And remains in a constant state of rebellion. See, you get to a point where the Bible says in 1 Timothy 4.1 Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. Well, we're in the latter times. Some shall depart from the faith. Giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Where is most of that coming from? Well, in I think the majority of it's coming through apostate Christianity. The seducing spirits and doctrines of devils is coming mostly through that. Because, hey, let's face it, if you're in the world, and you're of the world, the devil's already got you. If you're warm in a bar stool somewhere in a bar, he's already got you. What, why, would, why would the devil devote... Where would, where would the devil devote his troops if he's going to do maximum damage to try to prevent people from getting saved? Well, I think that it only seems reasonable that he would devote the absolute maximum amount of his energy toward the church. Doesn't that just make sense? But this, but this, this is, but this church or, or this nation is in a constant state of rebellion. It's as if a spiritual systemic infection has saturated the body with a deadly demonic bacteria, and a nation is being eaten alive by this sin. It's a good point. A little leaven, leaven of the whole lump. Any nation thus infected is facing certain death. That's another good point. It's just a matter of time before the death comes. Can any thinking person doubt that this is the very condition of our erstwhile great nation at this present time? Well, you'd have to be out of your mind not to. Well, I believe all the stuff they tell me on the news. NBC and CBS, they're my gods. Hey, if you're there and that's your mindset, I don't really think... There's a whole lot I can do. I pray to God he he, he show you the truth. But most people, that's where they're at. Most people, you know, 
oh, this is just conspiracy theory stuff. Well, there's conspiracies all throughout the Bible. God believes in conspiracies. You think the devil's? You think the devil's a conspiratist? Do you think the devil tries to go around in darkness and in in and plan these things? And then and then when it gets so bad and when it gets so and, and when he gets such amount of momentum, then they really start coming to the surface. That's what we're seeing here. It's just a conspiracy that's been fulfilled. That's all we're dealing with here in this country. So, America's on its deathbed and has been so heavily drugged and demonically dosed that it no longer comprehends its own sickness. Why? Because let's look at the last part of 1 Timothy 4.1. Giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy. Oh, huh. oh that's a whole other study into itself. And then the last part, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. They've been given over to a reprobate mind, like in, like in um, Romans uh, chapter 2. They've been given over to a reprobate mind. I don't think there's probably a whole lot of hope if your conscience has been seared and you've been given over to a reprobate mind and you have no conscience of your sin anymore. You have no conscience. See, how could you get saved if you have no conscience of your sin? Because that is the basis upon salvation is that Jesus paid your sin debt on the cross through His shed blood, through His death, burial, and resurrection. See, that's the whole concept of it. If you don't get that, if you don't think you've sinned, the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And what does it say? Well, well, what about sin? Well, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 6.23 All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. For we are all together as an unclean thing, and all of our righteousness are as filthy rags. Isaiah 64.6 So, this is the premise upon how we get saved. The pleasure-mad people of our country have been desensitized from reality and transported into a dream world, which will soon prove to be a nightmare. Oh man, I, I just can't even imagine. This country is spoiled as we are, and as decadent, and as nasty as things are now, when, when, when the slats get kicked out from under this country, I can't even imagine. You're going to see the true colors of people at that point. You really, you think you're seeing the true colors now? You wait. You wait. I personally, I don't even want to be here. I mean, I, I, I would love to be out of this place, quite frankly, because I, I know what's coming. The Bible says, the prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself. But Jesus also said, he that seeks to save his life shall lose it, and he that seeks to lose his life for my sake shall find it unto life eternal. So you have to have a balance between those two verses. Okay, You don't want to run from American abject fear because you're afraid of this, or, or you're afraid of what man might do. Because the Bible says the fear of man bringeth a snare. But if Jesus Christ were to open a door for you to get out of here, and that was his will, and I believe that is his, going to be his will for a certain amount, like it was for Lot, but there's probably going to be people that might not be. So, hey, everybody's different. I don't know what God's going to do in your given life. It's not cookie cutter, like a lot of preachers would have things go. In the body of Christ, they expect everybody to be doing the same things over and over and over. Well, it's not. It's the body of Christ. Everybody has a different function. So don't get down on yourself if you don't feel like you're doing enough for the Lord about this or about... Everybody's different. If you're the little toe, you might not have the same function as the eye. Does that mean it's any less important? Not in God's eyes. Not in God's eyes. 
So, people have become so out of touch with reality that they have lost all reference points to morality, decency, character, and truth. Even wealth and debt concepts have become ambiguous as paychecks are directly deposited by a computer. And the computer pays the bills on an auto-pay system. Many people rarely see money anymore. That is a strange time of fantasy, phantoms, and shadows that we saw coming for some time and is now upon us. Hey, it's okay. Okay, so now we're going to talk about, this is another part, fast forward a couple pages. This is called the dosing of America. There is a conspiratorial force at work in high places whose objective is to reduce the population to manage a people to produce a new world order. Is the United States a dosed and drugged up nation with ever increasing health problems? When we consider the size of the pharmaceutical companies, health insurance providers, mega sized drug stores, and vast medical centers, we can clearly see that something is wrong. And I have to pose you the question if you're all drugged up. Do you believe it's possible for you to drug your body into good health? Do you believe when you get a headache, it's because you have a Tylenol deficiency in your bloodstream? Come let us reason together, saith the Lord. What would we have done a hundred years ago before the advent of pharmaceutical medicines? Oh my. Oh me. Especially the mind-altering meds. What about all that? Now you realize that the word... Well, we're, we're going we're gonna to look at this real close in a second. Then, let's talk about this. Is the, food is the food we eat safe? Are we experiencing numerous food scares, such as E. coli contamination of spinach, peanut butter, lettuce, fruit, vegetables, and so on? We have now learned the FDA is running short on money and has cut its testing of food by 47%. But there are worse things than food not being tested. The greater problem is what's purposely being added to the food. Food crops containing human genes have now been approved. Did you hear that? Food crops that have human genes. They've already proved the rice. Frankenstein rice. Get it on your plate. I mean, I don't know what this stuff looks like. I mean, do you, do you, do you scoop it on your plate and has little ears and eyes? Hey, that's Uncle, that's Uncle Jim in my rice. Yeah. What was that? Ben. Uncle Ben. Yeah, it's really Uncle Ben and that Uncle Ben's rice. It's really him. We extracted some of his DNA and, 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 and spliced it into the rice. You know, I could see the resemblance on the plate. How sick. How stinking sick. We're playing God with everything. But you know, that's what they were doing in Noah's day. And Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. What was going on in Noah's day? The sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them all wise as they had chose. And they had giants, also referred to as Nephilim in the Hebrew. There were giants in the land in those days. A byproduct of human, fallen angelic relationships. Well, that sounds like they're kind of playing God in, 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 in not producing after their own kind. And that's what God commands us to do, to produce after our own kind. That's why it was an abomination to God that this had happened. That's why He had to send the flood and wipe everybody off the earth other than eight people, because they corrupted the seed of humanity. Well, the Bible says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. It's the same things happen today. Same thing. And that's a whole other study. But they're doing it with the food. They're doing it with the animals. They're making all kind of crazy animal hybrid offsprings. They're combined all in this, all for the sake of science and genetic engineering and stem cell research and all these other things. They've always got a nice, good veneer of an excuse. 
All of this is being done today, and yet it's not being preached in, in, in the pulpits hardly at all. None of it. Because it's, it'd be like it'd be like being in a mafia almost and trying to expose the mafia from within. You can't do that. You gotta get out of it before you can expose it. So but there are worse things than food being tested. The greater problem is what they're adding to the food. Food crops containing human genes have now been approved. Laboratories have now produced rice with human proteins identical to those found in human saliva and in breast milk. Ventura Bioscience of California has been given preliminary approval to grow 3,000 acres of this crop in Kansas. This is the human-human-rice hybrid. They're going to grow 3,000 acres of it in Kansas. And guess what? As soon as they start laying those seeds down, they just kind of wave off into the other farms and into their fields. starts contaminating their crops. It's what happens with genetically modified stuff. It contaminates everything. It's one of the main reasons the honeybees are, are dying like crazy right now. Because they're trying to cross-pollinate genetically modified crops and the honeybees are like, what is this? This frankenfood. And they're dying, the poor little things. And that has a lot to do with our food supply. And you know what? I believe it's all by design. Because they're going to take away the oil. They're going to take away the food. They're going to devalue the money. They're going to dilute our population. They're going to erase our borders. It's going to make it real easy for them to justify imposing martial law and all the other horrific stuff that's coming. You better take your stand now. You don't want to wait till the last minute. Because if you wait till the last minute, you'll, you'll cave. You'll cave. You're not going to bow up and be Mr. Big and Bad the last minute. Choose this day whom ye will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, as Joshua said. You better do it today, not tomorrow. Don't put it off. It'd be like putting salvation off. Not a wise move. Not a wise, I'm not saying you shouldn't pray about things and things of this nature. But things that are obvious, come on. Another grave problem is the common use of the drug ingredient, phenylpropanolamine, or PPA. This PPA additive is widely used in appetite suppressants, cold medicines, allergy medicines, and sinus formulas. PPA causes bleeding of the brain and induces stroke. Some companies have voluntarily recalled their products, but many have not. Read the ingredients and avoid PPA. Now, I, literally. There's right now about 100,000 chemicals that have been introduced into our environment, food, water, these types of things. The vast majority of them are, are cancer-causing. This is according to the Environmental Protection Agency. They're trying to kill us so many different ways, it's not even funny. Now, this is one of the main plans of the New World Order, is to radically reduce world population. Radically. Under the guise of global warming, under the guise of all the other things that they're going to do. They have got to reduce population because the devil comes, seeks to kill, destroy. That's what he wants to do. So it's no wonder that he would want to kill off as much humanity as he could. We're made in God's image. He wants to eradicate as many of us as we can. And considering the vast majority of those people, unfortunately, are going to hell, it's all the, it's all the better for him. These are like sacrifices to Satan. Okay? Oh boy, that's not preaching the churches. Most of the churches are just part of the problem. That's that is the problem. They're not they're not they're not getting what needs to be gotten out there. Going on with this article, it says witches' potions are nothing new, but in our day, they're not just made in little cottages in the woods by an ugly hag with a wart on the end of her nose. 
Now the witch's potions are made by our largest drug companies. In fact, some medicines commonly used were invented by witches and have cast a spell over them. Oh, me. Now that's not... Oh, now you're really getting crazy. What's that? Oh, what a witch is? Oh, the man that wrote this was a former witch. Warlock, whatever you want to call it. He came out of high-level occult. Okay, he's a born-again pastor Christian now. David Meyer. Pastor David Meyer. Or Mayer. Um, so I, I would say he's uniquely qualified to render this. And this isn't the first time I've heard this. You know, this, is, this has been well documented. Here let it be noted that there are currently 13 different sleep aids, such as Ambien, Rosarim, Lunesta, and have induced people to do things while sleeping that they have no memory of when they awaken. See, that's what these mind-altering drugs do. They get you in a different state of consciousness. Now, understand, people that are involved in high-level occult use drugs and use alcohol and these types of things mightily because what they're trying to do is get themselves into an altered state of con uh, consciousness because their inhibitions are lowered and the demons that come in and possess them can come in a lot easier. That's why they do these things. These activities that, that happen with some of these sleeping aids include driving cars, eating, and sexual activity. We must remember that in the Bible, the Greek word translates as sorcerers. As in Revelation 21.8, pharmakias. Okay? So sorcery is the, is, is the word for pharmakias in the Bible. It's what it translates to. And it means the one who makes potions for occult purposes. That's what the word means. So our pharmacies, really the, the root word of pharmacies are pharmacists, are pharmaceutical, is the root word that we use in the Bible for sorcery. And what that means in the Bible is one who makes potions for occult purposes. This is where we get the word pharmacist. Okay, now I'm not saying all drugs to save lives and all that are bad. I'm not, I'm not saying that, okay? Do what you got to do to save a life. But to be addicted to a drug over and over and over, day in, day out, when there's normally always natural alternatives, because I believe God put everything here we need, and it's not some synthetic thing that some man made up in a laboratory playing God, if you really think about it. But see, the reason they don't use the herbs and the things that are natural, partly, is because they can't patent them. And if they can't patent them, they can't make any money. So what they do, like with white willow bark, is they go into the, to the forest and they say, Oh, white willow bark, oh, this is really good for pain control. Well, we can't patent it because it's an herb. We want to make money because we're totally greed-driven. So we're going to turn it into some synthetic derivative and call it acetosalicylic acid, which they believe was the active component of aspirin, or white willow bark, and then they make it and they say, well, this is aspirin. That's how it works. Then they can patent it. It's just like the Word of God, because you can't patent a King James Bible. But if you, if you make a false translation, like the Revised Version of 1881, and then you retranslate that into like the NIV and the American Standard and the Message Bible and all these other Bibles they've got, every time you, you, you retranslate it, as long as you have enough words that have been changed, you can repatent and copyright that Bible. The King James Bible is the only one you can't copyright. Because it's the Word of God. It's the authorized King James Version. A little side note for you. This next part is entitled, As It Was in the Days of Sodom. Satan and his subordinate spirits have, have been not only walking to and fro in the earth, but in these last days they are running through it 
on a hellish rampage. It is because Satan knows he has but a short time. Revelation 12.12 makes this fact exceedingly clear. The public school system in New York is so overtaken by evil that the city is spending $80 million on a supercomputer and a spy system that will track every teacher and student in minute detail. The system is called ARIS. Well, that's the excuse they're giving at least to do it. The, the, the system is called ARIS. It's an acronym for Achievement Reporting and Innovation System. The word ARIS is an ancient way of spelling Ares, which is the Greek god of war. Now, I believe also Nike, Nike, the shoes, that's also the god of war. Okay? A lot of products that you buy have very, very occult meanings. And I know it's hard to stay away from everything, but do your best, you know. It is the same New York City school system that's handed out 254,000 Trojan brand condoms this year, which is equivalent to one condom per student. Can you remember the days when you went to school to learn and you walked in and your teacher didn't hand you a condom? Remember those days? I can't even conceive of that. And I only graduated in, in uh, what, 80, 87. But that's what they do, you know. Oh, kitties, if you're going to have sex, it's okay. Just, you know... Make sure you use protection. Yeah. That's an abomination from the pit of hell. New York City now has its own municipal or its own official municipal condom labeled as such. These are free and available in clothing stores, coffee shops, and numerous public places. It's a free. It's free. The city is distributing 1.5 million of them per month. The condoms are in black wrappers with nine colored circles in the same pattern used by the New York, sub, the New York City subway system. So the New York subway system has, has their own condoms. Isn't that great? It is a city that has gone sexually berserk. How evil has this nation and world become? In the Raymond Park Middle School in Warren Township, Indiana, two sixth graders, age 11, completed, completed the act of sexual intercourse in the classroom with the teacher present. This is on the news. With the teacher present. The school kept the incident under wraps since November 2006. It's happening all the time now. In Canada, the age of consent for vaginal sex is 14. Does that mean with, with an adult? That's what I'm assuming. This has made Canada a haven for pedophiles. Now I know I have a lot of people from Canada listening because I can check my downloads every month. We've got about as many people from Canada as any other country listening. So, so it says this has made Canada a haven for pedophiles. Now I'm not judging Canada any worse than I judge America, obviously. That's what I really harp on is America. This is where I live. But, you know, obviously, hey, Satan's got his agenda going on all around the world. So, Canada, haven for pedophiles now. And when they lower the, the age of consent to 14, you know, anything goes. These sick pedophiles, I can't imagine a, the, the, a place that's going to burn hotter in hell than, a than for a pedophile. I can't imagine. The Bible, Jesus said it was better that, you were, that a millstone were hung around your neck and you were cast in the depths of the sea than you offend one of these little ones. Well, how much more could you offend one of them than having sex with one of them? How sick! You talk about somebody that's been turned over to a reprobate mind. With all now now this article 
David Myers, all his stuff is all referenced. Everything. You can go up online and read all his newsletters. It'll load your boat. Last, www.lasttrumpetministries.org www.lasttrumpetministries.org It's just one big word. You can go read them. And you can, you can get on his... Um, uh, list if you want to and it's 20 or 30 dollars a year and he'll send you these emails by mail if you want them that way so anyway uh, here I keep getting ahead of myself here okay with all the exploitation of children going on why have the toy companies such as Mattel and play along featured lines of 10 inch dolls with stripper outfits the Fab Faces collection even has dolls with pliable faces that can pout. The Hasbro Toy Company has planned to release dolls modeled after the Pussycat Dolls with the slogan, quote, Don't you wish your girlfriend was hot like me? End of quote. Dolls. Yeah, little, little girl dolls. Moving along here, then it says, Thankfully, a letter writing campaign forced Hasbro to scrap the idea. Toy toy dolls of our day, but, you know, all you got, these Bratz dolls, I've seen them before, and I mean, they should be called whores. Instead of Bratz, they should be called whores. Because they're the most blasphemous, whorish-looking things you could imagine. Marketed at wee little girls. Wee little. I mean, three and four. The, 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 the younger they can corrupt them, the better. You know, and the parents, you know, with their wonderful discernment, I mean, it's like, I just, I don't know. It, it's, it, is, it is rather disheartening when, when, when to start thinking about it. But the Bible says it was going to be this way. It said it was going to be, it was going to get worse and worse. Um, toy dolls from our day have gone a great distance from Raggedy Ann. Now they have mini skirts, thongs, high heels, and makeup. May God have mercy on our precious children. Parents had better speak up or lay down the law against such things, or they are going to get the worst of it on Judgment Day. Amen. None of these things are cute, and, there, and it's no joke. A major problem in the United States is the homosexual and lesbian movement, which has the blessing of the United States government. The minority group has become so influential that nearly everyone is scared to death to speak against it. Recently, Marine General Peter Pace publicly stated, homosexual acts are immoral. That is when all hell broke loose. Now, this is a word, I'll tell you right. Now the pulse, the animus, Peter Pace has backpedaled. You ever hear that word? Uh, has backpedaled and is trying to smooth it over. All of Washington stood against Peter Pace for his comments. Wouldn't it be refreshing to see somebody in a high office with the guts to tell it like it is and stand by it unrelentingly? I'd say the closest thing we have to that right now is Ron Paul. Because I, I, I did wiggle up his website. I couldn't believe all of the things he's taken a stand on. Unbelievable. I mean, literally 30 pages of things, what he believes. I, I was very impressed. Um, what happened to the mainstream Christian churches, Episcopal ministers in some areas of uh, Episcopal, Episcopal ministers this is unbelievable in some areas are protesting in favor of gay rights 
and have stopped doing heterosexual weddings. They're not even doing, they only do homosexual weddings. I mean, it's one thing to do both, if you, you know, but to, 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 to say now it's only of God to be homosexual? In Amherst, Massachusetts, for example, the reverends Robert Hirschfield and Margaret Billet Jones and Burton Whiteside have declared this, that they'll only do homosexual weddings in their Episcopal church. Billet Jones also declared, quote, I am convinced that when gays and lesbians are baptized, they become full members of the body of Christ. That's That's not what the Bible says. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says the effeminate, the abusers of themselves with mankind, these types of things will all have their part in the lake of fire. Please email me and I'll give you the verses if you have any doubts. Remember the words of the Lord in Luke 17, 28-30. Truly these are the days such as of Lot. And the Bible says, as it was in the days of Noah... So shall it be in the days... It also says that as it was in the days of Lot. So shall it be in the days of the coming of the So Lot, what was going on? Well, obviously Sodom and Gomorrah. And then now you combine that with Noah, and you have the actual other thing that we talked about. Playing God. Not procreating after your own kind. Fallen angels. Well, that's not a really good scenario. In fact, that's about the worst combination I could possibly imagine. And that's where we're in, right smack dab in the middle. Count yourself worthy that God let you live in this time. Don't look at it like, oh, woe is me. There's a great cloud of witnesses in the sky. that, have, that And the angels have wanted to look into these things ever since the start of time. Don't count yourself as though I'm, I'm this poor, pitiful thing and I've I got to endure. Count, count it joy. The joy of the Lord is my strength, the Bible says. Count it joy that He counted you worthy to be in this time and to know this truth. Because the Bible says, if you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So don't look at it, don't look at it the, uh, the negative way. There's enough negativity. And I know this all seems negative, but don't... View it as pure confirmation that the word of God is true. Let God be true and every man a liar. The Bible says evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. 2 Timothy 3.13 So this is what's going to happen. Count of joy. Another large and outspoken organization that has churches nationwide is the Rainbow Baptists. I have never even heard of these. The Rainbow Baptists. Now, if you don't know, the gays have their own flag. They've got their own flag, okay? And you'll see it on bumpers and things like that. And, you know, it's got all the colors of the rainbow, I believe, in this flag. And it's just like a flag with all the colors of the rainbow. So if you ever see that on someone's car, or if they had a tattoo like that, or whatever, or if they had a flag out front of their house like that, um you know that that's a gay person. That's, that's their way of communicating that to you. But, the, but there's, a, there's another large outspoken organization known as Rainbow Baptists. This is a massive network of Baptist churches that are found in nearly all the major cities. On their website, they begin their statement of faith as follows. Quote, Rainbow Baptist is a website providing support, information, and ad- ad- advocacy for gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, oh, isn't that special, and queers identified as Baptists, their family and their friends. You... 
Oh, what an abomination from the pit of hell. Remember the word of the Lord Jesus Christ in Luke 7, 28-30. These are truly the last days of Lot. And I already read that. The end is near. The end is near. Judgment will be final, both in heaven and in hell, or forever. Moving further, this is entitled "Religion Gone Amok." Strange things are going on in the world as Satan makes his final thrust into the god of this, to be the god of this world. At the end of January, worshippers gathered at the temple of the Olympian Zeus in Athens, Greece. Priests of Zeus and the priestess of Hera who refer to themselves proudly as pagans, gathered for what they call true worship of the ancient goddess gods. On February 23, 2007, Miami Herald reported that the Florida-based organization, whose followers wear the number 666 as a sign of loyalty to the Antichrist, gathered at the South Beach. Now, we've talked about this guy. Okay, The organization is called Growing in Grace. Isn't there another Christian organization that's called that? Growing in Grace. Yeah. I mean, it seems... Appropriate, you know, 666 tattoos. He, at first he said he was Jesus Christ, and then he says now he's the Antichrist. And he's got all these, he's got 100,000 members. I can't even conceive of being that deluded. And they think he's God on earth. They think he's God on earth. There, um, some of them are tattooed with the numbers 666 and the letters SSS. Which they stand, which they say stands for Salvo Sempre Salvo, which means saved, always saved. Well, isn't that nice? Mrs. Mr. 666 Tattoo in his congregation, they think saved, always saved. Once saved, always saved. I can live, boy, you talk about wanting to live like the devil and still going to heaven, wanting your cake and eating it too. Whoa, this is the, that puts that new old me on that thing. You talk about some deluded, deluded people. Reportedly, long lines of people wait to receive the tattoo markings of 666. The head of the organization is Jose Luis de Jesus Miranda. Now, my, I'm of the opinion that if God would start judging devils like this, He would rain down His fury on a lying devil like this. All He's doing is taking people to hell. Why? So that all men would see and fear and declare the work of God. That's why. God would rain down a fury on him. But God shall shoot at them. Uh, this is prep from Isaiah 64. But God shall shoot at them with an arrow. Suddenly shall they be wounded. So they shall make their own tongues to fall upon themselves. All that see them shall flee away. And all men shall fear and shall declare the work of God. For they shall wisely consider his doing. The righteous shall be glad in the Lord and shall trust in him. And all the upright heart shall glory. Well that sounds like a good good um, uh, what outcome to judging a wicked person or persons. Why do you pray that prayer? So you get revenge? No. So that all men will see and fear and declare the work of God. So that God's name be glorified, many would be saved, and the righteous would be encouraged. What's the other outcome? Letting this guy go? Now I'm not saying get a gun and go out. I'm saying, but in prayer. Well, how are you praying? Well, the Bible says, bless them that curse you. Okay. That's fine. And I'm not saying, what's the best way you could bless somebody? What's the best blessing you could ever pray for someone? That they get saved. If God would judge the wicked, and I don't mean judge them to the point of killing all of them, I mean judging them in this lifetime so that they might repent and get saved. And maybe help others get saved. That's how most people get saved. You know? Well, wouldn't that be a positive outcome? I think it would be. What's more merciful? The Bible clearly tells us in Revelation 13 that the 
about the number of 666. Uh, another organization has risen up and been giving prime nationwide coverage on the program Nightline. This group is using the internet and calling upon people everywhere to blaspheme the Holy Ghost. They even provide people everywhere in the words to do it. Oh, I, I, this is just unbelievable. It's like their spirit means so little. Their, their soul and spirit, their eternal destiny means so little. I, I can't even conceive of this. Talk about no fear of God. This group was posted on YouTube and on ABC News website. How serious is this? We read in Mark 3, 28-29 as follows, Verily I say unto you, all sins shall be forgiven unto the sons of men, and blasphemies, wherewithsoever ye shall blaspheme. But he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiveness, but is in danger of eternal damnation. Going further, has there been such a time ever as this. Even the great skeptic and bemused doubting Thomas must admit that there is something happening that has never happened before. And again, you've got the combination of as it was in the days of Lot and as it was in the days of Noah. You've got the most two wicked combinations of Sodom and Gomorrah and in Genesis 6 of in, in the days of Noah happening at the same time. It's, it's a prescription for absolute spiritual disaster. Does that mean God's not on the throne? No, He's on the throne. Does that mean God's not permitting it to happen? Well, the Bible said that He would send strong delusion in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 that they would, that, that they would believe a lie. All those that love not the truth, be careful what truth you love. If, you think, if, you, if the truth you think is truth and you love is leading you to the pit of hell, you better get a different set of truth. Because it's not truth, it's a lie. Very important what truth you, you embrace. Other recent headlines are indicative of the last days that include rabbis aimed to renew animal sacrifices. Another story from the London Daily Telegraph tells of the Roman Catholic Cardinal Murphy O'Connor authorizing the gay mass for homosexuals and lesbians. We have also heard of a so-called archaeological uncovering of what is supposed to be a marked box containing of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that was the you know, lost tomb of Jesus. Other archaeologists have stated that there is not one chance in a million that this find is authentic, but it did receive primetime coverage to feed the ignorant with more ignorance. It's a pretty good way of putting it. And I've done two teachings on this that you can go up on the lost tomb of Jesus. Now, one of the greatest outrages of all the new version of the Bibles claiming that the Lord Jesus Christ was not born of a virgin, but of a gorilla. I'm not, I'm not making this up. I'm not making this up. I would imagine this would try to play in the Darwin thing. The Darwin thing. Now, I know the Jews, I know the Jews said that one of the reasons they had to eradicate, the, the, the Nazis, the Aryans, Hitler, one of the reasons they had to eradicate the Jews was because the shape of their head and their, and, and the, the, that race of the Jews, they believe, was the most closest to the apes. In other words, in the, in the scheme of evolution, they were the least evolved. So they had to be eliminated so we could have the true white Aryan Brotherhood Nordic race come to the fore. Okay? That's the only reason I could see. Now, the exact words of this Bible, this, this new Bible, was he was born in the manger a long time ago, not to a virgin, but to a gorilla. End of quote. I mean, it, it's part of you wants to laugh and part of you wants to, to just scream. You know? 
the so-called Bible is entitled The Lost Spiritual World, a postmodern edition of the Bible. That's the exact title of this thing. I mean, you know, the Lord Jesus Christ, I, I, I would just pray it rain down His fury in these lying tongues that would go forth and blaspheme Him. I, I, truly, I, I just... What, what's more merciful? What's more merciful? You know? I want him to get saved if it be possible. And God knows the beginning from the end. He does. He knows who's going to get saved and who's not going to get saved. Now, I'm not talking about Calvinism and stuff like that. I'm talking about he knows who's going to get saved and who's not. I mean, look, he took John up and he showed him what was going on in Revelation. You think God knows? He's omniscient. He's omnipotent. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. And he's everywhere. I just pray God do whatever it takes to get these people and the people following them saved. Whatever it takes. If He has to hang them over hell. Whatever it takes. Is that, isn't that more merciful than burning in the lake of fire for eternity? That's how, I mean, I don't know, it just seems real obvious to me. But again, I don't ever hear this preached. Uh, it is this lost spiritual world, this Bible, it is authored by a guy or a woman named Ruth Rim who is pictured sitting in a lotus position. With absolute certainty, I can say that the end is upon us. Good news is that the power of the everlasting gospel still prevails, and true deliverance and salvation is still happening. You can still receive it. And that was all I'm going to get into in that particular email. Um, I'm going to move along here quickly. I'm going to try to get in as much as I can today. Uh, again, another, another update on Israel. Um... This is entitled Israel, God's Timepiece, because that's what a lot of, we need to base a lot of what is, we're on the cusp of biblically, is we look at Israel, God's timepiece. And I do believe that to a large extent that is true. Um, this is entitled, Omer holds back army in the face of the imminent Hezbollah Hamas threat and buildup. Military experts, some of them recently retired from combat duty, tirelessly warn in the daily media interviews that a war buildup on the three borders of Israel, Lebanon, Syria, and Gaza, has reached dangerous proportions. Now, we talked about last week just the buildup on one border, on Syria. But there's a buildup on three borders. Okay? I'm talking Arab nations on three borders with a military buildup. What does that sound like to you? Sounds like they're getting ready to, 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 to go after them. Not only is the army again unprepared for another conflict in months to come, but again, that may not be true. They may be being baited in. Okay, According to David Bay's research, they have what they call scalier weaponry, which is far superior to anything the Arab nations could ever bring to the table, unless they would have it. But I don't think they do. So it's kind, of, it's kind of like baiting them in. Come on, come and get us, come and get us. We're going to act real weak. See, that's the, that's, there was a book written, the, the Art of War, by a guy named Sung Tzu. Now, I'm not saying go out and read it. It was from some unsaved, ungodly guy. But in that book, it said that when you're weak, feign strength. And when you're, when you're strong, feign weakness. Well, that's what Israel's doing. They're feigning weakness now like you wouldn't believe. And the word feign means like to, um, to show yourself as weak. Okay, or show yourself as strong, fame. Um, actually, what it would mean is showing yourself as a certain way, whether it be strong or weak. So, 
not only is the army again unprepared for another conflict in the months to come, but it is held back by the Omer government from destroying the plentiful rearmed enemy installations before they go on the offensive. Confirming the general's worst fear, Hezbollah leader Nassim whatever, can't pronounce his last name, laid out a plan on Sunday, May 6th, and this is May 6th, this is not old news, for attacking Israeli Defense Force positions on Mount Hermon and Dove from the Sheba... I mean, they're, they're, this guy, this Hezbollah leader, is, is basically coming right out in the open and he laying out a plan for his attack on, on IDF defense positions in Israel? You would think that they wouldn't go that far. You'd think that they would want to kind of make it a little surprise attack. You know, he says, no, this is what we're going to do. Oh, but, you know, yeah, you know. Okay, I, I, I that's pretty, pretty bold. Um, now, this time, unlike Hezbollah's provocation in 2006, Tehran of Iran is solidly behind the Lebanese Shiite militia's war plan. Now remember, I've done we've done teachings on Iran now. See, now Iran has really come to the front and said, we got to wipe Israel off the planet. Because if we don't do this, we can't have the, uh, the, the 12th Imam, who is the prophesied, their prophesied chosen one. We talked about him in, the, in, in that teaching I did on um, Lord Maitreya and the Ascended Masters. You can, that's the title of it. If they don't have a lot of bloodshed and if they don't act, uh, uh, actively try to wipe out Israel, they don't believe their 12th imam, who would be like their savior, will emerge. So see, they, they're compelled to do this, not only because of the 12th imam prediction, but also the fact that they believe that when they die in the service of Allah, fighting against the infidels, which are unbelievers, that they will go straight to paradise, especially if they kill some of that's why they strap on the nail bombs and run in and, 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 and pull the thing and they die and everybody else dies. They're trying to kill as many people as they can because they believe the reward will be greater in paradise. Can't even imagine the horror when you know as they plunge into hell and they 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 realize their whole life has been a total lie. The Islamic Republic is furthermore willing to be party to a conflict against Israel launched from Lebanese territory. I'm telling you, this thing's, this thing's got to be near. Here's another thing. Cheney, this week, good old Vice President Dick Cheney, warns from, from Iran, from a der, uh, the deck of an aircraft carrier. He's, uh, Vice President Dick Cheney used the setting of an aircraft carrier in the Gulf to deliver a stern message to Iran on Friday, warning that the United States will not allow Iran to obtain nuclear weapons or gain the upper hand in the Middle East. With two carriers... Now, according to David Bay's research, they've already got nukes. They've already got nuclear weapons. I don't know what the extent of that, but this has been a done deal. And we keep saying... At first we were saying, oh, it's going to be ten years before they have it. Now we're saying it's three, and they keep moving it back. I think that's all by design. Um, they're warning that the United States would not allow Iran to obtain nuclear weapons or to gain an upper hand in the Middle East. With two carrier strike groups in the Gulf, we're sending clear messages to friends and adversaries alike. This is from Dick Cheney. He said in a speech on board of the USS John C. Stennis, according to a pool report provided by the journalist traveling with Mr. Cheney, we'll stand with others to prevent Iran from gaining nuclear weapons and dominating the region. Cheney warns also, um, it, this is another from May 11th, couple days ago, Vice President Dick Cheney has sent a message to Iran that U.S. plans to keep the sea lanes open. Now, this is that Gulf of Homez that Iran has these tethered, 
these tethered bombs in and they've got all these tactical things in order to shut down the sh that shipping lane. Okay, I, I believe that would have a lot to do with them getting oil out of the region as well. And troops and ships and things like that in there. Uh, the U.S. plans to keep these sea lanes open. Cheney issued the warning today during a rally aboard the USS John Stennis aircraft carrier in the Persian Gulf. So Staney, you know, Cheney's trying to step it up with his warnings. And really what it is, is what we're trying to do is do as much as we can to provoke this thing. Israel is over there feigning like, you know, their, their government's totally falling apart. Omer's got, you know, like 70% of the people want him out now. You know, the president just got indicted on a rape scandal. Omer, the Prime Minister, everybody wants him out. They're, the whole government is appearing to be in disarray. They've got all this buildup on three borders right now. Iran's over there chomping at the bit. They're, they're, they're inciting the whole Arab world. Come on, brothers, we've got it. We've got, for the 12th Imam to appear, we have got to, we've got to have bloodshed. We've got to wipe Israel off the map. And Allah is with us. And Americans are doing everything they can do to provoke it over in Iraq and Iran and all the other war atrocities they've committed. Using depleted uranium on the troops, just leaving the whole area decimated with birth defects and, and all kind of radiation poisoning. And if you don't believe me on that, please, there's a DVD called Beyond Treason that you really need to see. So you can go up to cuttingedge.org and keep doing a keyword search for Beyond Treason or just go up on the internet and do a keyword search for Beyond Treason in quotes. And if you don't believe there's there's just horrific atrocities being committed over there, I'm sorry, it's all documented. It's from the guy. It's from the guys in the army. Their document. It's one of the main one of the main MDs that was over there documenting this. Over in Iraq now, when when you have a baby, it's not. They don't ask if it's a boy or a girl when it's born. They ask, is it normal? That's the first thing they ask, because you they'll show you some of these pictures of babies that are being born over there, from all the radiation poisoning, from all the depleted uranium they're using, and all the, the, the munitions rounds that America's using over there. Because, see, they, they, tip their, they tip their munition rounds with this depleted uranium, and it slices through armor plating like hot butter. That's why, supposedly, they do it. But what it does is as soon as it hits this metal, not only does it, shut, does it slice through it, but it atomizes into the air and it basically just waves all over the Middle East. People breathe that. People ingest it. And it's, it's causing massive amounts of cancer and aborted babies and oh, just all kind of misery. I don't blame them for hating us. I really don't. Does that mean I'm for Islam? No, I'm not saying that. Again, let's have some balance. That's a whole other study. I don't even want to go down that rabbit trail right now. But this is another one. It's called Benchmarks for a Bloodbath. Now, this was from a, a comment by the person that sent me this. She said, I found this article in the Jerusalem Post this morning. Winds of 205 miles per hour in America now make sense. If you have not read the book Israel, Blessing or a Curse or The Eye of the Storm by Bill Koenig and another gentleman, get it and read it before we start the hurricane season. Remember, anytime America starts having major catastrophes, America is usually trying to get Israel up to give up their land. And I'm telling you, it's documented. It's absolutely, totally documented. I did a big study on this. Um, on um, New Orleans a long time ago when New Orleans got hit. Now, there's a lot more to that than meets the eye as well, okay? Because we have things like weather manipulation and things like that. But, the fact does remain, every time we are pressuring Israel to give up more and more land, we have some horrific event happen. This last week. Now, I'm going to explain to you what just took place so for you to maybe have an understanding a little bit more, this 205 mile per hour 
tornado that just decimated this whole town in Texas. All the wildfires raging everywhere. I mean, where I live in Florida, wildfires everywhere. All the time now. Out in California, all this other stuff. There is some truth to this. There is definitely, because it's documented, it's not opinion. It is like one thing after another. Every time we have ever pressured Israel to give up land to these ungodly Arabs, and I'm not saying Israel is godly right now either, because blindness in part has happened to the Jew until the fullness of the Gentile come in, okay? But they're still beloved for the elect's sake. The Bible says that, okay? Now... And again, we could get off into so many different studies here that I just don't have time to go into. But hopefully, if you listen to my sermons, eventually you'll get the big picture. I'm hoping that that's that what the, the Holy Spirit will do through these. Okay? Um, these, these catastrophes that have happened in America, every time that we pressure Israel to give up land, have been documented since the 1950s. Okay? I, I ask you to read this article to get your heads... To, and get your knees to pray for America. We really do not want to experience any more major winds and destruction. Well, you know, that's not really, shouldn't be our primary motivation just to, for us to be protected. I want the Lord's will to be done. And, and, I, and I realize that, yeah, I mean, I don't want a tornado coming through my, and, and these types of things, but, I don't know. I just don't know if that's the, <laughs> the, the totally the right motivation, you know. Um... So, this is, okay, this is benchmarks for a bloodbath. This was just in the uh, Jerusalem Post this morning, or or when this would have been a couple days ago. Um, U.S. Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice is not purposely trying to destroy all of Israel's hard-won security gains in the last five years, but if she were, she could hardly have improved on her benchmark proposal. The proposals comprise two parallel sets of benchmarks, these are steps mainly in Israel to increase Palestinian, fr- Palestinian freedom and movement and stuff. Now, I just read you there's a buildup on three borders of Israel fried by these Hezbollah terrorists. Iran is behind this. They're, they're chopping it to bit to, for the 12th Imam to make his appearance. That's probably going to coincide with World War III and the emergence of the Antichrist. In fact, the Antichrist might call himself the 12th Imam. I don't really know. I'm not 100% sure how when the Ascended Masters and the boys make their big debut, I'm not 100% sure who's going to say he's this guy or whatever. You know? Maybe they could have a little band or something. You know? I, I don't know. Maybe a record, some type of, you know. Anyway, saw a little humor there. Um, however, it does not, it does not make either track either track conditional on the order. Thus, should Israel accept the proposal, this proposal from Condoleezza Rice, uh, uh, basically that means the America, it would be pledging to fulfill its own side of the bargain regardless of whether the Palestinians honor theirs. Palestinians will not honor anything. They have no honor. In the Quran, it is okay to lie, cheat, and steal as long as you're, 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 um, you're pushing this ungodly religion. They don't have any code of ethics. They have stated openly that the only way there's ever going to be any peace in the Middle East is if Israel is absolutely, totally wiped off the map. And you look at a map of the Middle East, and Israel's this tiny little sliver of land. And they want more and more and more and more. And then I yet I hear from, from even some ministries out there, Oh, Israel, you know, they're just wicked. They've just persecuted those poor Palestinians for years and all this and that. Give me a break. Look at the land map. Be reasonable. 
They're in this little tiny sliver of land. Now, do I go so as to far as to go with John Hagee and say, oh, Israel can do no wrong. They're of God. we gotta, we got to support them no matter what they do. Well, now let's have some balance here. Okay? So again, that's all I'm saying. Let's have a little bit of balance. Let's look at the big picture here. See how it fits into the biblical end time scenario. I mean, I think it fits perfectly. Um, as, and since increased freedom of movement for the Palestinians includes increased freedom for the movement of terrorists, that essentially means an Israeli pledge to facilitate terrorist operations, even if the Palestinian Authority makes no compensatory effort to thwart such operations. Uh, it's just unbelievable. The document explicitly requires Israel to dismantle many security precautions prior to the relevant PA security. I mean, I believe that means uh, Palestinian Authority. For instance, it requires full deployment of a revamped um, PA security service in Gaza only by the end of the year 2007. Yet Israel would have to start allowing regular convoys between Gaza and the West Bank on July 1st. Thus, six months before PA forces are even in position to combat Gazan terror, Israel would be required to facilitate the export of this terror to the West Bank. Sounds fair for Israel. You know? It's just, it's insane. It's, it's, this whole world, it, it's like, it's like a group of insane people run by insane people. It's like an insane asylum run by the insane. Now, I'm not saying everybody, I'm not saying everybody's bad and, and all these other things. I'm saying, especially the people at the top. I mean, I don't think there's any, a whole lot of doubt about any of that. Um, going further with this. It mandates no Palestinian counterterrorism in the West Bank. Such efforts are required only in Gaza. I mean, this is insanity. This is, you know, what right do we have or any other nation to go into Israel and say, this is what you need to do against these, these, these Israeli people that want to kill you, or Israeli, the Palestinians, the Arabs, the Islamic people that want to kill you and want to wipe you off the map. you got to give up more. Could you imagine if somebody came to, to America and said that to us? Like, let's say the Canadians and the Mexicans were like the Islamic people. And, and, they were, and, and yet we were getting pressured as America, which is gigantically bigger than Israel will ever be, to give them more and more and more of our land. Now, granted, in a way that's coming, but not to the same extent it's coming to Israel. I mean, the North American Union is just going to erase the borders. But this is a different dynamic going on over there, okay? Because we don't, we're not just a country full of Jews. So, going further, it says, put bluntly, absent dramatic Palestinian action against terrorism, removing checkpoints is a proven recipe to produce dead Israelis. Rice's proposal, however, goes far beyond the limited experiments of the past, demanding the simultaneous removal of dozens of checkpoints throughout the West Bank. It would be like, it would, it would likely therefore produce even more mayhem, carnage, than did the previous such efforts. Far worse, however, is the proposal for the regular passenger and cargo convoys between Gaza and the West Bank. The document does not discuss security arrangements for these convoys, but every previous incarnation of this proposal has assumed that Israel would either not conduct security checks at all, or would it most conduct superficial checks that would minim that would cause minimal delays? Oh, hey, Mr. Terrorist, come on through. Okay, yeah, we're, yeah, take those rockets, slaughter our people. Okay, next. That's basically what they're saying. This is insanity. Um, <laughs> I mean, of all places to have security checks going into a country, of all places on the planet. I would think this would be the one you would want as the most secure. 
But no, no, no. We're telling them via good old Condoleezza Rice and our government, no, you can't do this. You might offend them. How are we going to have a Palestinian state within Israel if you don't play, play ball with us? Well, they've already given up most of their land to these terrorists. And that's not good enough. It'll never be good enough. It's like trying, when you deal with the devil, when you deal with the devil, nothing is ever good enough that you give him. He'll always want more. It's never going to end. They're never going to be satisfied. You don't deal with the devil like that. You get in the devil's face, basically. You, you, I mean, the, the Bible says resist the devil and he will flee. Okay? You quote scripture back to the devil, just like Jesus did. Or like the Bible, or, or like the angels said, they did not bring a railing accusation against these other fallen angels, but they said, the Lord rebuke you. I believe that's the biblical way we're supposed to, we're supposed to deal with demonic entities or fallen angelic entities. Quote scripture, the Lord rebuke you. I think that's biblical. We'll probably do a study on that someday. I don't think it's biblical. It's in the Bible. Uh, and that one part is in Jude. If you read the chapter of Jude, where it talks about that. Anyway, uh, moving further in this, skip over a little bit here. Israeli intelligence agencies have long warned of the terrorist organizations feverishly preparing for war. But an astonishing report on the Sunday's hearts, veteran of Arab affairs correspondent. Now, this is a veteran of Arab affairs. This is not Israeli. Okay? Correspondent Danny Rubinson cited Palestinian acquaintances in Gaza as saying that these intelligence reports significantly understate the scope of the preparations. This is the preparations for war. This is the preparations for the buildup on the borders and pre-positioning um, uh, all of their terrorist weapons inside of Israel. This is pre-positioning this. This veteran of Arab Affairs correspondent, Danny Rubin, cited, stated that the Palestinian, that his Palestinian acquaintances in Gaza, as they were saying that these intelligence reports significantly understate the scope of the preparations, which include massive arms, smuggling, and recruiting, and training of hundreds of additional troops. Given a chance, the terrorist would certainly launch a similar buildup in the West Bank in order to force Israeli to a two-front war. See, when you have your war on different fronts, then your then your troops get split up, and then you, you can't fight as efficiently. Now they've got to build up on three borders, and there and there's tons of them already in in Israel. <laughs> it's not a good scenario. Indeed, Hamas publicly rejected the benchmark proposal last week, precisely because the organization is quote preparing for battle. Hamas said this. They 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 rejected this proposal. I'm, I'm thinking this proposal that Condoleezza Rice even said. Yeah, they reject. It wasn't good enough. These stinking terrorists. It's not even good enough for them. They're so demon possessed to the toenails that it's not good enough. As much concessions as Condoleezza Rice and as much of an abomination as that was to the Lord, it's still not good enough for the devil. There, if, there, if ever there was a religion that, that, that I saw, of course, you know, I shouldn't say that, because, I mean, Catholicism, Mormonism, I'm just talking about one that's the most aggressive of the lot. I mean, 
the, the Muslim religion is, is, is pretty bad as far as just being flat out aggressive. Okay, the others are more subtle. And I'm not saying they're not as large of an abomination in God's eye. Somebody emailed me the other day to that effect. And so I, I will concede to that. Yes, I don't want to put them on a special platform saying that they're, you know, the only bad, the worst of the, but they're pretty bad. Um, it says that the Hamas rejected the proposal last week because why would you why would you ever number one why would you ever want to negotiate with terrorists you don't negotiate with terrorists you know it's like give me a break you talk about playing with the devil because the organization is preparing for battle to quote one of its leaders the Hamas leaders why should Israel facilitate this effort for rice um, well, that was quoting from one of their leaders. We were preparing for battle. For Condoleezza Rice, desperate to buy Arab and European support on the Iraq, with Iraq on the Israeli-Palestinian front, higher Israeli casualties may well be worth the price paid. But no responsible Israeli government could concur. The only proper response to Rice's proposal can thus be summed up in one word: No. Uh, and I, I hope they do say no. I. I I can't imagine them saying yes. Now, here's another thing I, I kind of wanted to touch on today. How's everybody liking the price of gas? How's, how's everybody loving this? Isn't it great? Well, I'm going to tell you something today that's really going to enrage you. I, I, this, is, this is the truth. This man saw it, lived it, wrote a book about it. His name's Lindsey Williams. He was a chaplain on the northern slope of Alaska where they drill the oil. He wrote a book. It's called The Energy Non-Crisis. He's got an, it's updated and enlarged. Um, if you email me, I'll send you the email. Now, all you got to do is do a keyword search for The Energy Non-Crisis. In quotes. Do it that way. The Energy Non-Crisis. And Lindsay Williams, L-I-N-D-S-E-Y, Williams. Get his book and read it. He's got a video on it too. I got them both. I, I think you don't really need both, but in whatever format you want to do. Author Lindsey Williams, who had executive status with nine major oil companies on the Transatlantic Trans Alaska Oil Pipeline, has written a book startling of startling stating the facts, listing names, dates, and places, where he says, As the former insider, I know Alaska has plenty of oil, enough to supply the United States for 200 years. Why do the people of the United States allow this excellent oil to be shipped and sold to the people of Japan, over 100 million in population, when we could have it shipped here to the lower 48 states via a pipeline? This book speaks for itself, so listen to the startling facts it reveals. After almost only one week on the northern slope of Alaska, Senator Chance had said to me, now this, see, he had all kind of privileged status. I believe the Lord opened this door for this man. He gives God the credit. I've seen the video and read, or read part of the book. He had, they led him into the boardroom. See, what happened is he went up there and he started counseling some of these guys that were on the oil rigs. And what was happening is, is, the workers that he was counseling, they were noticing a lot more productivity from them. In other words, he had the ear of the workers on the field, whereas the corporate boys upstairs, 
They can't relate. So he was like a middleman between this chaplain, between the, the workers and the boys upstairs. And if, if the boys upstairs could use the middleman, the preacher, to get to the boy to, to appeal to the workers and get more productivity out of them, they took him into confidence, took him into their boardroom. He heard everything. It would be like, you know, the spider in the palace that it talks about in the Bible, you know, that he can go into king's palaces and see these things, okay? And he had a privileged status. Unbelievable story. But he said after almost one week on the northern slope of Alaska, this is Lindsey Williams, he said, Senator Chance had said to me, now he, and again, this is no big, senators, he, he conversed with all these guys. Senator Chance said to me almost every things said to me about the energy crisis by those briefers from, from Washington, D.C. is a lie. Everything. What do you expect? That's all we get on the news is lies. That's all we get. After proving the find at Gull Island, an ARCO executive went on to say, Chaplain, America has just become energy independent. Now this is after they found this gigantic oil field on Gull Island in Alaska. And when they said that, this ARCO executive says, America's just become energy independent. Well, you would have hoped that's what would have happened. The energy crisis had just come to a screeching halt overnight. This ought to hit the front page of every newspaper in America. And they thought that's what was going to happen. But before an announcement was made, the government forced them to cap that well and seal the records which the documents and seal the records which document that find. Why? Why did they do it? That's what this book goes into. At that point I decided it was, some, it was time for somebody to tell the story of a scandal greater than Watergate ever was. Now I'm going to give you a little brief history of why they did it. But you really need to get the book of the video. Because see, if they can create a crisis, if they can create a problem, then they can use that problem to control us. And they can use that to extract as much money from us in the form of gas and oil prices as they possibly can. Gas now that's 330, 350, 310 a gallon is extracting a lot of money from a lot of people. They're trying to bleed the middle class in particular dry. Because the middle class of America is one of the few things started stopping the New World Order from implementing its agenda. It's also the reason they're diluting our population with the illegal aliens. So it's one of the reasons that they're, they're deflating the, the value of the dollar to nothing. Well, there was nothing ever back in the dollar anyway. No gold or silver since 1968. 68, we took off the silver standard. 1933, the gold standard. When you don't have a money that's not backed by some hard currency, it causes hyperinflation. This is why the Internal Revenue Service was formed. Because when we went off a gold and silver standard, essentially, we, we created this big, gigantic national debt. And... and um, the interest on this national debt is where all of the money that's paid in the IRS goes. All of it. Not one dime of it, according to the Grace Commission, the Ronald Reagan Commission, when he got into office, not one dime of the money you pay that goes in the Internal Revenue Service goes to run in this country. Not one dime. That's why it sickens me when I hear people, oh, you don't pay your taxes, you're not a good... Listen, if anybody were to say that, not one dime of it. Not one dime goes to run in this country. And if, please email me and I'll give you all the documentation on that as well. But I'm going to go a little bit further with this study because I think it's pertinent to the day and time we're living in. And it relates to the Middle East too. 
Because see, we're trying. Part of the reason, big part of the reason, we're over there with with Halliburton Oil, which Dick Cheney was the CEO of, and the Bush family have all been oil men their whole life. The, one of the big reasons we're over there. Not only are they war vice a president and vice president, they want to incur as much carnage and war as possible, and and, and um, all their munitions and all these other things that they have vested interests in. But also, there's a lot of oil that can be had. They want to control that oil in the Middle East, even though we've got plenty here. I know it sounds insane, but it's the it's what's happening right now, and um, that's what they're doing. This is entitled "Oil Pirates um, Bleed the Masses of Their Meager Inflated Fiat Paper Dollars." See, that's what this is about: bleeding us of every dime we've got, and then what's going to happen? Boom! The hammer's going to fall. The, value, the dollar's going to go to nothing. We're going to have probably some type of nuclear conflict. Maybe a pandemic flu. I, I did a 14-city tour on if the avion flu hits. If you want information on ordering that DVD, just let me know. But there's a lot of different scenarios how this could go down. Most likely some false flag nuclear event on our soil. Soil blamed on Iran. Who knows? But... Bleeding us dry in conjunction with one of these other events, in conjunction with imposing martial law, they're going to hit us when we're so far down. You're not going to be able to look up. Now, if you if 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 uh, if you're a true father of the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm not saying it's going to be a bed of roses by any stretch of imagination, but I will say that's the best scenario you could be in. Best scenario, right there, because I believe God will have His protective hand on His remnant, at least to a certain extent. <laughs> um. This is entitled, If Gull Island Didn't Blow Your Mind, This Will. At least four times the size of the, size of the Prudhoe Bay oil field, which is up on the northern slope of Alaska, estimates are that it is the richest oil field on the face of the earth. Earth. You always hear about all the oil in the Saudi Arabia. No, we got it in Alaska. We got the biggest, richest oil field fields in Alaska as there are on earth. Gull Island just proved that the oil companies have believed for some time. It authenticated the seismographic findings. Seismographic testing has indicated that there is as much crude oil on the northern slope of Alaska as in Saudi Arabia. Since the Gull Island find proved to be so seismologically correct, then there's other testings. The other testings are also correct. There are many hundreds of square miles of oil under the northern slopes of Alaska. Now, let me just make a quick sidebar note here. We have technology available that the government's been withholding in this country that would that would absolutely take our dependence off crude oil totally. So I'm not even saying this is the ideal way to go. Our government knows how to how to produce what they call free energy. They know how to do all types of things with with um, magnets and solar and wind and all these other things that all this technology is being as much as possible held back so the oil companies can make the maximal amount of, of profits and so that they can bleed us dry maximally. Okay, all by design, every bit of it. But. Still, if this was made available to us, gas prices would probably go down to 75 cents a gallon if it was really the real deal, if they were really doing it honestly. You know, 50 cents, I don't know. But that's, that's how big this would be if they were honest about it. But they can't be honest because they're of their father the devil. And of their, father, of their father's works they will do, as Jesus talked about. So to clarify what I'm about to say, now this is back to this article, let me first reemphasize that the government permitted the oil companies to drill and prove many sites. Now proving the sites means that they're the real deal. 
these sites. Subsequently making them cap the wells and keep secret the proof of the fines. But they do not allow them to produce from the wells. This is why I have referred below to a number of wells having been drilled after I left the North Slope. The only production permitted is from the small area in the North Slope. Gull Island is located five miles offshore from Prudhoe Bay. It is in the Beaufort Sea. The chemical structure of the oil in Gull Island is different from that of the oil in Prudhoe Bay. And the pressure of that field is different, proving that it is a totally different pool of oil from the Prudhoe Bay oil. So Prudhoe Bay is big enough, but Gull Island is a whole other different different oil field that's, that's way bigger and has a different pressure, so it's a different field. The Gull Island burned, produced 30,000 barrels of oil per day through a 31 and a half inch pipe at 900 feet. He's got all this documented, exactly what it was, because he documented this all before he left. Three wells have been drill proven and capped at Gull Island. And these are just one, I mean, he just said that one well was capable of producing that much. The East Dock well also hit the Gull Island oil pool because you can tell that by the chemical structure of the oil. Because see, each oil that they, they drill in a given oil field will have a different footprint. It'll have a different characteristics. It'll be at a different depth. It might have a different amount of petroleum things in it, okay? These types of things. For 40 miles to the east of Gull Island, there has not been a single dry hole drilled. For 40 miles east of Gull Island, they haven't had one single well drilled that wasn't a geyser. Do you know how much oil that would be? More than we could probably ever use, ever. He said 200 years here, and that's probably conservative. Although many wells have been drilled, this shows the immensity and the size of this field. The Gull Island oil find is even larger than the Prudhoe Bay field, which is precisely producing more than 2 million barrels of oil every 24 hours. It's, it's, I think it's a lot larger. And that's producing 2 million, 2 million barrels of oil every 24 hours. Where's the energy crisis? It is surely not on the north slope of Alaska, so it must only be in Washington, D.C. Well, Washington, D.C. is a very, very extremely cold place. David Bay just put out a new DVD on this particular thing documenting um, Washington, D.C., all the occult architecture. And I've gotten a lot of flack for promoting David Bay in any way, shape, or form. But you know something? That man puts out a lot of truth. And, that, and let me tell you something else. That DVD did nothing to shake my faith in the King James Bible. Or the first one, for that matter. To which I've had many email, email correspondences, and I humbly submit to you, I watched that first one three times, and I've watched the, the second, there was nothing in there that shook my faith in the King James Bible. Nothing. And I am as staunch of a King James Bible defender as you're going to find ever. And I mean, I don't say that braggingly, I mean I am dyed in the wool, okay? King James Bible defender. And I'm telling you right now, this is an excellent DVD that could be given to even an unsaved person and used as an icebreaker in order to open them up to further truth. That's what I'm talking about. Let's do, you know, and I, don't, I don't mean doing it through getting leaven, leaven in somebody's life, but let's get them some truth. Let's get them, let's get them understanding truth, and then they might be, they might be more open. You never know how God may open a door to somebody, what He may choose to use. So, anyway, um, the Gull Island oil field... Now, and again, I will, I will say this before we go any further. I do not agree with David Bay's stance on the King James Bible, period. 
I am not in agreement with him on that issue. But there's a lot of things he reports on that are objective, factual news reports. And I believe he has a unique perspective because he's been doing it. And I've seen so much confirmation on much of his, uh, many of his reports. So that's the one caveat I say. We, what we have to do is we have to go in and glean. We need to go in and glean from wherever we can find truth, wherever ministry... No, you, you go in and you can glean from NBC News or ABC or CBS. That doesn't mean I'm going to say follow them on, you know, obviously. <coughs> They're a secular news source. We want to be careful. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Okay? So, um, we go further. Now, just in case of Gull Island, if it didn't blow your mind, try this one on for size. Only recently, just west of Gull Island, the Kuparuk oil field has been drilled. Again, this is a totally separate pool of oil from the Prudhoe Bay or the Gulf, Gull Island. The chemical makeup of this field and the pressure of this field is different from the others, proving it to be another totally separate oil pool. In an entirely different area of the North Slope than the 100 square mile area of Prudhoe Bay. This Kuparuk field is approximately 60 miles long by 30 miles wide. It contains approximately the same amount of oil as Prudhoe Bay. So there's another one they've discovered. It, the oil in Kuparuk field is at a 6,000 foot depth, and there's 300 feet of what they call oil sand. The field pressure is 900 pounds at the wellhead, and the test wells have flowed at 900 barrels a day at normal flow pressure. It is projected that 800 to 1,400 wells should be drilled in the Kuparuk field. From 1973 through 1980, we were told of continually that America was in the midst of a major energy crisis, yet no oil production was allowed from the Kuparuk field. It wasn't until 1981 that permission was finally granted for production. Why the delay, if there was really a crisis? No, they're controlled crises, creating a controlled effect. They, 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 that way they can control the effect when they control the crisis. The reason Mr. X made the statement that there is as much crude oil on the north slope of Alaska as all Saudi Arabia is because the oil companies have drilled all over the north slope. I believe they're in regard to Mr. X, they're referring to Lindsey Williams here. Because these, the, uh, there's more oil on the north slope of Alaska as in all of Saudi Arabia is because the oil companies have drilled all over the north slope and have proven there is, there is that much oil there. But, but still, they are only allowed to produce from this small little area. Hmm. The North Slope is everything in, in Alaska north of the Brooks Mountain. Prudhoe Bay is, is a very small portion of this enormous area. Just remember the size of Alaska. After the first edition of this book was printed, many people requested additional technical data, and a chapter was added as a result of this. Possibly you have heard it stated that the Alaskan crude oil has such a high sulfur content that it cannot be refined by most oil refineries in the United States. So this is the, this is the excuse. That's the only excuse I can come up with. Too high sulfur content. What a lie from the pit of hell. We are being told this is the reason why Alaska oil is not helping to solve America's energy crisis. This is also the excuse that is being used for shipping Alaskan crude to other countries. It has also been reported that major power companies are even telling this to their customers and their monthly statements in inserts, using it to justify their need for rate increases. Yeah, let's bump up the electric bill too, we'll bump up the crude oil prices. What does that all do? It makes everything go up. You notice how stamps are going up now? 
I mean, I just sent, I'm sending a, uh, a priority mail package, a one pound priority mail package, and, and, I, and it was 405, and then um, this weekend they're having the rate change, and I, I had gone in past the date and I said, oh, sorry, we're going to have to bump you up to the other rate change because you, um, you didn't get in. So I said, okay, fine, so I hit the thing, and it bumped it up 55 cents for a one pound package. I mean, it's, it's out of control. But see, as gas prices go up, everything has to go up. Food, every, see, gas is the key to a lot of this stuff. <clears throat> so, it has been reported that major companies are telling their customers in their monthly statements to justify their needs for rate increases. These are the electric companies. Well, here is, the, here is a statistic that should silence those false claims. The blow, and blow the lid off the phony ex excuse of too much sulfur in the Alaskan crude oil. On August 11, 1980, analysis of Prudhoe Bay crude oil, which is following in the Trans-Alaska oil pipeline, read as follows. Sulfur content, 0 0.0, 0.9%, 0.9. That's it. 0.9% sulfur. And then he goes through all the other things. There's not very much sulfur. The sulfur content in the Prudhoe Bay, Alaska oil is low in comparison to oil from other sources in the U.S., as well as many other foreign oil. So just one more lie we've been fed, and I'd never even heard that lie, but that's, that's the excuse they're using. The Alaskan Prudhoe Bay oil can be refined by any major refinery in America without damage to the ecology. This means then that the widely publicized excuse of too high a sulfur content is simply not true. Therefore, it is just one more link in the long chain of falsehoods that we are asked to believe as Americans. An energy crisis, give me a break. More recent facts. The following is a comparison between the three oil fields on the northern slope of Alaska, which have been drilled in the, in, with numerous wells, tested, proven. Prudhoe Bay can produce 2 million barrels of oil every 24 hours for 20 to 40 years at artesian well pressure. Imagine what the production of the coupon and the Gulf oil fields could be. Now, he's got two different links here. And I, if you want, I will email this to you. I've already sent this out to my email list. Well, one part of it, not the other part. But I'll email this to you. And you can check out these links. You can check all the numbers and prove it to yourself. This is not this man's opinion. Again, one more gigantic way we're being deceived and lied to in this country. Uh, <clears throat> going further... This is an article that appeared. Uh, the global warming propaganda, and we kind of touched on this earlier, the global warming propaganda has advanced to the point where one leader can call for the first reduction in global population to less than one billion. Wow. Scenes that were over 6.5 billion and heavy, heading to 7 billion, a one billion dollar, or one, uh, if we were to get it down to one billion, <clears throat> that's 6.5 million people. No, hold on. I'm sorry. That's 5.5 billion people that would have to be eliminated off the planet. Now, Ted Turner went further. And this is on my Avion Flu DVD, where he was stated, talking to the Audubon Society, I guess he could get away with it talking to them, that we need to get the world population down to, I think it was 350 million to 250, or, yeah, 350 million to 250 million, which would be like, oh, 90% plus at that point. We're really getting it down low. Thanks to good old Ted. Uh, why, don't you, why don't you start first, Ted? That's what I would say to all the globalists. Why don't they volunteer first, since they're so fervent about doing this? Let them volunteer. They'd be doing the world a good thing. Uh, and then, in, in, in addition to that, <clears throat> this is from um, a Cutting Edge article. 
facts as well a think tank can actually state that children are bad, bad for the planet. Yeah, that's what this think tank. News brief. Children are bad for the planet. This is from the Australian News, May 7, 2007. Having large families should be frowned on as an environmental misdemeanor in the same way as frequent long-haul flights. Driving a big car and failing to reuse plastic bags, says a report to be published today by the Green Think Tank. Did you catch the new crime being proposed for this Green Think Tank? Environmental misdemeanor. I find this concept totally ridiculous. However, since population reduction is the top... One of the top priorities of the Illuminati, uh, this concept will take hold with the misdemeanor being rapidly turned into a felony. This paper by the Op Optimum Population Trust will say that if couples had two children instead of three, they could cut their family's carbon dioxide output by the equivalent of 620 flights per year between London and New York. Give me a break. What a lie from the pit of hell. And all this is tied in with global warming, guys. Oh, yeah. The one principle you can learn very quickly is that you cannot ever trust the mass statistic. What is that That expression? Liars figure and figures liar? No. No. Figures lie and liars figure. Figures liar. Figures lie and liars figure. It's kind of a tongue twister. You know? It's like how many... Chuck's could a woodchuck, Chuck could a woodchuck. Sorry. What, Taylor? Okay, so going further, uh, the one principle you will learn quickly is that you cannot trust the math statistic being offered by one of these radical groups. This kind of statistic is literally pulled out of thin air and is offered as a means by which the undiscerning masses can be stampeded in a panic. See, they don't care about truth. Truth is something that's foreign to somebody that's evil. They don't care about truth. All they care about is their agenda. And, and they'll lie to you all day long. John John Gulliban, the co-chairman of the OPT and the Emeritus Professor of Family Planning at University of College London said, quote, the effect on the planet of having one child less is an order of magnitude greater than all the other things that we might do, such as switching off lights, the greatest thing anyone in Britain could do to help the future of the planet would be to have one less child. Even though this article states that most of the population growth will occur in developing nations, rather than industrialized nations, the impact of a baby growing up in a developed nation is actually said to be greater than that one of growing up in a third world country. The British fertility rate is 1.7. The EU is 1.5. Despite this, Professor Gildebrand says countries should be the most concerned about family sizes their children have a higher per capita carbon dioxide emissions. That's nice. Comparing human humans to carbon dioxide emissions. How, how, what a nice way to dehumanize humanity. This is the plan you're seeing worked out in your daily newspaper regarding our global panics as global warming. We will come to our, into our kingdom. Our, order, our orators will expound great problems. Now, I should say, let's preface this. This is from the Protocols Learned Elder of Zion. Uh, protocol number 13. This is, this is a lot of the tenets of the coming one world government and how they're going to implement it. When we, quote, when we come into our kingdom, our orators, notice they notice our orators, who are they? They're the people in high places, the politicians, the people that speak, the people that are in all these think tanks and all these other things. They're the orators of the Illuminati. They're the orators of the evil. They're the orators for Satan. Okay? Our orators will expound great problems which have, which have turned humanity up upside down in order to bring it 
at the end. Um, upside down in order to bring it at the end under our beneficial rule. Who will, who will ever suspect then that all these peoples were stage managed by us according to a political plan which no one has so much as guessed at the course of in many centuries. Okay, I'm going to try to get through this, these next two because I do have, I think, enough time here to do it. This is entitled, this is, a, this is an article by um, Raiders News Publishing by Thomas Horn. I've never seen him write anything like this. I was actually quite impressed with this article. Um, he goes on, this is Thomas Horn of Raiders News, uh, who was a former pastor. He gets into that here. He says, most people can but weakly imagine the emotional turmoil and mental anguish suffered by those who in the course of supernatural warfare have met insidious forces so dark and evil that they dare not think of them after the fact or recall the vanquished details of their memories and presence. I'm talking about vampires, of course, the ones inside the church. For those of you who think I'm being judgmental, you are right. 1 Peter 4.17 says judgment must begin at the house of God. People who care about the institution of Christianity should consider that a time of introspection and judgment is overdue. With humility, I believe I am qualified to say some things about the spirit that is increasingly passing itself off as, quote, church leadership. This really hit home for me. For nearly 30 years, I held senior pastorates and executive positions in the largest evangelical institutions in the world. Well, I wouldn't really be bragging about that, I'm sorry. But, nevertheless, during that time, I spoke to hundreds of thousands of people from pulpits around the globe, both electronically and locally. For several of those years, I also worked in... This is what's happening. This thing gets pulled over. Sorry. I worked in the field of exorcism. Now, a lot of people say, oh, me. Now, he wasn't a Catholic priest, okay? He dealt with demonic entities. And this is one of the reasons he has the ministry that he has, because he knows it's real. Most Christians don't believe it's real. They don't believe we... The Bible says we battle not against flesh and blood, but against princes, principalities, rulers of wickedness in high places, etc., the Bible says that in Ephesians 6, and that's why we're supposed to put on the full armor of God. He dealt with this every day. So see, he has a unique perspective, just like somebody coming out of the occult. They have a unique perspective, because they've lived it. They know it's real. But we Christians, most of us, oh no, that's just not real, it's all bunk. Well, you better, you better, you better get on board, because pretty soon, <clears throat> the deception is going to get so great, the demonic deception is going to get so great, if you don't believe it's real, you're not going to know what's truth and what's a lie. You better get on board. So for several of those years, I worked in exorcism, which led to a certain appreciation for the subtleties in morality plays like those in Anne Rice's books. Now, I'm not getting all of this. He's talking about Anne Rice, who wrote all these books on vampires. Supposedly, she got converted and is now a born-again Christian. Well... Rarely do I ever see those conversions be genuine personally, but he, he, he references her in this article, so that's why you'll hear her. Uh, yet now I find an irony so thick I could drive a stake into its heart. While Anne Rice, the evangelist of the vampires, that's what she was known as before she got saved, okay, because she wrote all these vampire books. She's the evangelist of vampires. She's discovered Jesus. Many of those who occupy America's places of religious power and pretend to be the Lord's evangelists have become vampiric wordsmiths. 
vampiric wordsmiths. They're good with words. Okay? And again, quoting Romans verse uh, 16, 17, and 18. <clears throat> Wherefore I beseech you, brother, mark them which cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ but their own bellies and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. These are the, what the Bible talks about as the wolves in sheep's clothing. It says if, if Satan can transform himself into an angel of light, it's no marvel that his ministers can also be transformed into ministers of righteousness. Notice it's his ministers, Satan's ministers. Okay? The Bible says that the the hireling who's doing it for the money, which is what most of the pastors are doing in America, that they have no true love for the sheep. And they're not going to give them the truth. A wolf in sheep's clothing. So, they become, these, these, these ones that say they're the Lord's evangelists have become vampiric wordsmiths clothed in capes and rituals, hiding the need to maintain their existence by consuming the life force of innocent living creatures. Of course, I wouldn't really go that far as to say the people in the church are innocent. They need, they need to be searching this thing out. They need to be getting in their Bible. I don't want to give them that much credit either. Okay? I mean, hey, listen, I'm not trying to hold them to a higher accountability than I would hold myself. You need to search these things out. Be like the Bereans, which were more noble than those in Thessalonica, according to Acts. Because they sought the things out in the scriptures to see if these things were so. We need to be doing the same thing. Don't trust any man. Don't even trust me. If what I say is contrary to the word of God, don't trust me. I'm not, stop I'm, I'm not stopping with anybody. The Bible says man will fail you. Don't put your trust or faith in any man. You put it in the Lord Jesus Christ. His shed blood, His death, burial, and resurrection, and, the, and, and what the Holy Spirit can do living inside you, working through you as a born-again Christian. That's what you put your trust in. You put your trust in the Word of God, not in man, ever. The Bible says, "Is not my word like as a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. So that's what you put your trust in. So anyway, uh, disguising themselves as mortals as they feed on people's faith, using and then disregarding innocent lives to maintain their theater of vampires. I suppose when most people think of an actual demonic manifestation, they recall images such as Linda Blair slithering like a snake along the floor in the movie Exorcist. To be honest, to be honest, during the, with few exceptions, I had with exorcism, superhuman strength similar to that fictionalized in this popular film in Vampire Lord was only manifested one time in other words, when he was working as an exorcist. The greatest encounters I had with evil supernaturalism by far, and which one I may document when the time is right, was confronted on more than one occasion by myself, by my staff and my family, was the spirit of religion. Again, like I said earlier, if you were Satan, where would you target your forces and minions and the army that you had at your command? Would you target it at a guy, a drunken guy on a, on a bar stool who you've already got? You target it at the churches. So the spirit of religion was, was um, the greatest thing that he saw manifested in all of his dealings with exorcism, in all of his dealings in this ministry. That wielded significant influence among church institution leaders whose thirst for power has become Luciferian. Okay, Luciferian like Lucifer in the Bible. 
Such spirits are identified in the Bible in, 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 in the actions of those who are possessed by them. They are megalomaniacs who seek to exalt their throne while taking particular delight in enforcing private rules which have nothing to do with the Bible by which they judge the righteousness of others. Or even if they are going by the Bible, I might interject here, they themselves don't go by it. So that makes them a hypocrite. Which was one, you know, that was the one big, big, big gripe Jesus had was when he came back, the ones that he had the, the sternest rebukes for, by far, were the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Those that feigned religion and holiness, and yet inwardly they said they were ravening wolves. They said, he, he called them white sepulchers, full of dead man's bones. Sepulchers of tomb. Called them vipers and serpents. Oh, well that's not nice. Well, hey, that's Jesus Christ. That's what he said. There's a judgment must begin at the house of the Lord. Well, that's the ones he... That's that Jesus... That's the one he harped on more than anybody. So shouldn't we be doing the same thing today knowing that it's probably even more wicked today than it even was back then? But it's not being done. These, these so-called... These wolves in sheep's clothing, they compass the world to make one disciple. Then make it twofold more of a child of hell than they are themselves. Matthew 23, 15. These incredibly deceptive murmurers seek institutional positions where they can nourish Christless attitudes among church leadership. Teach their hosts how, as actors, they must suppress their true personality while emulating sincerity so that their victims will accept as a real, the real character they portray. Woo! The actors. Most church people, too, are actors. We're playing church. Does that mean I'm, I'm up here saying, oh, I am so perfect and so righteous and I'm judged? No, I'm not saying that. I'm being myself right now. I judge myself first. I'm preaching to myself as much as I'm preaching to anybody here in this audio recording. There's one verse in the Bible that rings the most truest with me, and that's when Paul said, oh, what a wretch of a man that I am. Who will deliver me from the body of this death? Paul said that. And I can relate to that the most, okay? And if we would humble ourselves before God... And if we would pray for the fear of God in our lives, I think God would bring us to that point. Now, I'm not saying I've arrived. By any stretch of the imagination, please, I'm not saying I'm the benchmark. Or I'm better than anyone else. But I'm just saying these, these, these actors in the pulpits and in the pews, they're actors. It's pathetic. It's an abomination in the sight of God. Let me read that last line again. They must, they must suppress their true personality while emulating, while emulating with sincerity so that their victims will accept as, as the real character, will accept them as the real character they play. It's a play. It's like a big soap opera. They're playing this. Playing church. That's all it is. And, and I mean, this, the way this is written, one thing I really don't agree with is, is that acting like all the people in the church are just innocent. I'm not going to give them that much credit. And you know what? If they get, if they get plunged into hell, because most of them are not saved, God's not going to give them that much credit either. It's not going to be any excuse when you get to hell. It's not. It won't be an excuse. Okay, so, going on with this, mastering dialectics... <clears throat> Thus becomes very important for the murmurers to succeed. They must also develop good vocal project, projection for the stage, physical expressiveness, improvisation, emotional drama, and even be capable of reciting classical texts or scriptures when necessary. Oh, man. Unreal. Well-rounded murmurers. 
mummers will even learn singing and other performing arts so that they so that that with their false anointing they will appeal to the human weaknesses and convince us that they are genuine all of these look, 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 look at all the skills they got to harness to, to you know to, to, to be one of these hireling uh, hirelings whether they're a pastor associate pastor worship leader whatever Whatever, look at all the things they have to harness. I mean, they, they should have some credit here. Good vocal projection for the stage. Physical expressiveness. Improvisation. Emotional drama. And even be capable of reciting classical texts or scripture when necessary. Now, I know another thing a lot of preachers are really good at is, is inciting little fun little jokes and limericks. And, oh, you know, they got to start out with their nice jokes and, and uh, you know, make everybody happy and feel good right off the bat. You know, I'm sorry. I've never, never, ever, ever felt compelled to do that. And every time I ever saw it done from the pulpit, I cringed before I even came out of the church. Now, does that mean I think there's not a time for, for a little bit of humor? Yeah, I try to interject that into these, into these lessons. But there's so many things that are more serious. It's like they're ignoring the weightier matters. They're straining at gnats and swallowing camels. You know, it's basically what's going on in the churches. Of course, the biggest problem for such vampires is the true power of the cross. And how, if they are not careful, it will scorch away their cover and reveal the apathy they have for their victims. Oh, me. But remember, the hireling has no love for the sheep. I thought of these words recently during the passing of a dear friend. Now listen to this. To project her identity, I will simply call her Nellie. Like so many true Christians, Nellie had given her life to the ministry of others. And, and, and praise the Lord. I mean, it sounded like this woman was really saved. As a result, she had very few earthly possessions, and certainly nothing to compare with the wealth of the typical... Uh, of the typical uh, vampire in the pulpit. However, Nellie did own a home. The appraised value was a mere $35,000. This is heartbreaking, this story. So it was easy to see the modesty of her lifestyle in today's United States, okay? Which is, this is very true of many people of God. That, that you know, having food and raiment there with to be content, that's what the Bible says. Many times the Lord will not shower all these abundant material possessions on you because he knows it would corrupt you. That's why the Bible says, Jesus said that it's easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Because riches so many times will corrupt you. They become your God. And you start thinking, ah, oh, look what I did. These riches have I gotten of my own. No, no. That's not the truth. So this is why so many people that are true born-again Christians live very meager, modest lives for that very reason. But still, this $35,000 house was her, hers. Early last year, knowing she was getting too old to live alone with anyone, and ultimately she would need to be cared for by her daughter, Nellie made a deal to sell her house to this religious institution she went to. With its 501c3 corporation, as the pastors, the CEO, and the board of, uh, board of directors was the deacons, because that's how the IRS classifies you as a church, so that you can... You can you can write off your taxes and tie. You can write off your tithes on your taxes, even though the Bible says, "Let not your right hand know what your left hand's doing when you give." Nellie made a deal to sell her house to this religious institution we both had worked at. We had both worked for. In other words, I believe him and his wife. Tom Horn had worked for this religious institution. Nellie had served tirelessly and without pay for the organization for several decades. Never complained, never nothing. As an executive director of a particular board, I was familiar with the district office's interest in acquiring the land. And I was there when several properties, including Nellie's, were approved for purchase. 
through though Nelly's no, though Nelly's was the least expensive, the other properties were owned by younger and healthier persons, not ear, nearly as easy to victimize as Nelly. And so, these were paid off immediately and closed and closed escrow post haste. Nelly, on the other hand, waited and deteriorated until her body and mind slowly began to giving giving in to the last enemy she faced, death. As the end drew near and she needed more money for medical expenses, she asked my wife to check in with the Christian organization state office to see if she would be paid. Now, again, that's another thing I just don't see in the Bible. Having these big denominations, number one, I don't see any denominations in the New Testament, and having these denominations have have one corporate office controlling another corporate office controlling another corporation office. You know who's at the head of all those offices? Satan has pre-placed his people at those heads. If you doubt me, read the book uh, called Rise as a Serpent by Fritz Springmeier where he documents the heads of all the religions, including the Christian religions, the ones that call themselves Christians, at the head of those religions are Satanists, essentially. Who better to put in those? If the head's sick, the whole body. That's why there's, there's not really any denominations anymore that aren't corrupted. Okay? Rise of serpents. Okay, now, you can actually can't buy the book anymore. They put Fritz Springmeier in prison. Who knows? He might be dead by now. I don't know. I haven't heard from him in a long time. I was corresponding with him by prison. But, you can go up online and download the whole book. And if you do Be Wise as Serpents in quotes, you probably can find it. If not, email me. I'll, I'll get you the link. Anyway, uh, going back to this, so she she asked Nellie asked Tom Horn's wife to check into this Christian organization state office to see when she would be paid. Well, since Nellie is going to die before long, the secretary for the for the Coven's head vampire stammered. Oh, I think these are good. Coven's head. You know what a coven is? A witch coven is thirteen witches. <laughs> and when they get together, they call it a coven. Okay. So when 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 um, the the witch, the secretary for this witch coven of the head vampire of this church, okay, this is all tongue in cheek, okay, but she said, well, since Nellie's going to die before long, we've decided to just wait, since we'll inherit the property anyway when she's gone. So she's trying to get money to pay her, her expenses from her own little meager house, and they're waiting for her to kick off and die so that they're going to get it anyway. That way they won't have to... They won't have to... Uh, give any money. Ugh. My wife was in shock. Yet unlike her, I'd been inside the vaults and among the vampires long enough to understand how the mummers think. Now I don't know why he calls them mummers. That's some British term, I believe. We both cried a few months later when Nellie, still hoping for some crumbs to fall from the rich man's table, had a stroke and died not very long afterward. For me, it was the last straw. Almost 30 years in the theater, I decided it would be better off for me not treading the rafters anymore. I had made some great friends, and there are still some vampire hunters in the organization I respect. But the glory days are waning, and the theater's headquarters have become too infested with spider webs, moss, bats, and other creepy things. Devils. Yet I 
would leave a warning behind for the vampires everywhere. For those who would sell their soul to the devil for $35,000 worth of real estate, you've done all that you can do to hurt the old woman who will rise up in judgment against you in that day that matters most. Now granted, she probably will be used as a witness, but the one that they're really going to have to fear is the Lord Jesus Christ at the, at the great white throne judgment because I don't believe one of these people are saved. How could you do something like this and have no conscience of it? How could you do something like this and prosper in religion? When the Bible says, whom the Lord loveth, he also chasteneth. And if ye be without chastisement, you are bastards, which is an illegitimate son. If you don't get spanked when you're, when you're living like the devil and you're calling yourself a Christian, you're probably not a Christian because you're supposed to get spanked. And why wouldn't you have a conscience if the Holy Spirit lives inside you? When you get saved, the Bible says you're a new creature. Behold, all things are passed away. All things are become new. And the Bible says you're bought with a price. And we're supposed to be crucified with Christ according to Galatians 2.20. But no, no. No, none of that's happening to these guys. Their conscience has been seared with a hot iron. It's as though they've been turned over to a reprobate mind. It's almost as though I can hear the Lord saying, as He said in Jeremiah 7, Jeremiah 11, and Jeremiah 14, Do not pray for this people, for I will not hear you anymore. It's almost how bad it's gotten. I'm not saying to do that, but I'm saying it's pretty close, if not there, and I believe, I believe there's some and many, 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 many. The Bible says, narrow is the way that leadeth to life eternal, and few there be that find it. Few. So most of the people on the planet, no matter what we do, are going to go to hell. Now, does that mean we give up? And do, no, it doesn't mean that. But I'm just saying, the Bible says, few there be that fine. And then he said, he said, many will say to me that day, Lord, Lord, haven't we done all these mighty things? Haven't we cast out devils and all these mighty works? And Jesus will say to them, depart from me, ye that work of iniquity, I never knew you. In other words, they were never, ever saved. He didn't say, well, I knew you back in 62, but you backslid and fell away. I believe when you get saved, and the Holy Spirit really lives inside you, and the chastening of God is on you, you're going to stay saved. You're going to do whatever it takes. The Holy Spirit is the one that's doing it. It's not you doing it. Okay, now, then it gets it on once saved, always saved, all that other stuff. Well, that's what I believe. I believe if you're really saved... The Bible says, By their fruits ye shall know them. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, goodness, faith, temperance. Okay, we've got all these things going. We know there should be chasing the Lord. We know there should be conviction of sin. Does that mean we're going to live spotless, perfect? No, not at all. But there should be certain earmarks of a Christian. And if you don't see evidence of that in anybody, you're called to be fruit inspectors. I'm sorry. We are called to be fruit inspectors. And we are supposed to judge those within the church. And because we're not judging those within the church is the reason the church is in the state it's in. Because all kind of manner of devil and doleful creature has come into the church and permeated the church and is at the head of almost every church now. How can you, how can you purge a church when the head's sick? What can you do? If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? This ends by saying, of course, I suppose... Um, I suppose until then you could wring the blood out of the money and use it to purchase some really cool new capes or a row of, or a row of dazzling new lights for your praise and worship concert or keep your, and to keep your audience spellbound through your witchcraft. Because that's basically what's going on here. Witchcraft in the pulpits. Now I'm not going to be able to get to my last part today here, but um, we got through most of it. I'll go ahead and end this in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day and all you've given us, Lord God, heaven. I praise you, Lord God, for your goodness and your mercy. I thank you, Lord God, most of all for what Jesus did on the cross to save our souls, Lord. And I pray to God, Lord, that you save many, many more. And do whatever it takes, Lord God, 
to get these people saved. The unsaved, Lord God. Our unsaved family members. I pray to God your fear would be upon them. And if you have to hang them over to hell to get them to save God, that's much more merciful in the name of Jesus Christ than letting them go to hell. I do pray, God, you forgive us collectively for any and all sins that we have committed in any way, shape, and form. That you cleanse us of presumptuous sins and secret faults that they would not have dominion over us, Lord. We praise you, Lord God. We humble ourselves before you. I do pray, God, for the fear of God for us, for the body of Christ. You send your word, Lord God, to work out your your salvation with, with trembling and godly fear. With fear and trembling. And I just pray, Lord God, that whatever that encompasses, we do. And I do pray to God for your protective hand on, upon the body of Christ, Lord God, coming in, moving into the time that we're moving into right now. That you would give us divine wisdom, Lord God, and understanding, and the strength and the courage, Lord God, to do whatever it takes to stand against the wiles of the enemy. We love you, Lord God. We thank you. We praise you. I pray, God, you bring us back at the next appointed time. and your name be glorified and that many would be saved as a result of your truth going forth. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.